Hayley Lewis for your rendition of our theme and welcome to episode 40 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel and Kim and our US correspondent Stephen. And also joining us today for our final show, for the late show that is, there will be more coming down the track, but we'll talk about that later. So, <laughs> uh, but basically it is, uh, oh, like there's so much going on in this episode today, I don't know where to start, uh, but also joining us today are two brothers, two very special brothers. One you'll know from a 90s children's TV show called, I don't know, Sky Trackers. My project is on meteors. Now everyone knows what they are. Shooting stars, okay? Scientists think they can reveal clues about the origins of our solar system. That's why they're very valuable. I reckon it's this bloke named Robert Hague who paid big money for genuine meteorite specimens. Yeah, they call him the meteorite man. You interested in meteorites? Ah, just saw his sad in the magazine. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Three bucks fifty tomorrow, thanks, Bruce. <laughs> and, Thank you, and Thank you for doing that. Um, I learned all my acting skills from the late show to, to do that. I'm still getting... <laughs> <laughs> and the other one who recently carried 12 pots of beer for some up, other up and coming podcast. I don't know if you heard of them. Are they in a clump and you're squeezing them all together? They're in two clumps. It's a double clump. Wow. They're on, are they layers? Have you patented the this... double clump? Are you stacking. Are you stacking two layers? Um, I'm holding two layers. So are you actually grabbing underneath almost like a firefighting helicopter holds a bucket? Similar, yeah. The first seven are in the air. The seven are on top of the five. So now he lands. Oh, Oh my God. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, this is the hard part. This is the dish. Seven beers on top of five. And he somehow landed. Oh my god! This is amazing! (laughs) You did it for Hamish and Andy. It's Nick and Justin Anderson. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So um, I was going to say, uh, you guys are the piss weak kids. Oh, two yes. of them anyway. Correct. Yes, yes. Correct. <laughs> so, it says that on your passport. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so no, thank you guys for coming. Well, Justin especially for returning for the second time round and Nick for joining us for this one. Um, right. I'm sorry, Justin, for digging up um, your uh, Sky Trackers resume. <laughs> It exists. <laughs> and you picked a great clip from it too. There's, um, that, was, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nick, yeah, that, that's really cool that you carried so many beers. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. And you got to give some scraps to the new and upcoming uh, podcasters as well. So yeah, I thought I'd throw Hamish and Andy a, a bone on that one. Yeah, <laughs> they're totally new to the whole uh, world of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, you were big first. <laughs> You're popular before that. Uh, well, okay, I, I will say, while this is uh, episode 40, um, we will be doing more of the DGEN Late Show. And by the way, if you're not sure already, 
this podcast is totally unofficial. It's not actually associated with Working Dog or the DGEN or any of the ABC. This is just purely born out of the love and passion of uh, the Late Show and all their work, really. Um, but I will say I did try so hard to get uh, more cast members of the DGEN on. Uh, we were lucky to get Jason Stevens on um, earlier, which was a fantastic chat. Uh, but um, we were so close to getting... A, a bit of a reunion going um, and I had been in touch with a few of the Working Dog staff um, but it just couldn't get to fruition um, so if anything happens for the ABC hey we're 90 special trust me <laughs> we were working on it beforehand so <laughs> like late last year or late 2021 no, but, uh, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed they, they do something for the 90th birthday uh, coming up in this uh, this week yeah. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So that uh, hopefully will answer your questions for um, people who are saying, hey, why don't you get such and such on or so forth? It's like, trust me, we tried. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I'm here. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, made, I made it. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> I know. It took us a while, but we got there. <laughs> And we do have winners for the bar jars <laughs> competition where we're getting people to record their quotes and so forth. So, uh, And it was basically you could win a Bluey DVD box set, all thanks to Lauren. Let me just stand up. Mygeekculture.com.au. There we go. There's a shameless plug there. There we go. And I've, I've got my copy of the Bluey box set. That's what it looks like. That'll be going to our winner. Yep. Um, along with a few other things. Yeah. I've, as... also, I've also got a copy of uh, my own copy of a nest of occasionals. One of those is going in as well. And uh, oh, down here, this is a bit bigger. There we go. Joan Jen herself. Wow. <laughs> yeah, autographed and signed to Les and Chris. So yeah, make sure you change your name by Depol. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know if we can get that on the camera, but uh, yeah, there we go. So I don't know how much it's going to cost, but uh, let's find out who the winner is. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, best bits of the Late Show Champagne Edition DVD box set. Ah, uh, yeah. As well uh, as a three pack of CDs from <laughs> Lucky Jackson, aka Michael Warren from Potluck. I'm embarrassed, and this is this is good and bad at the same time. It's probably one of the worst things I've ever made. And I've been, I've been. And you made product of its time. So. Oh no, no! Just, that was brilliant. That's superior. This was even. This is out of my 17 years of working in radio production. Uh, by the way, I'm unemployed. So if anyone else wants to employ me, do not reflect on this. Uh, I, thank you, everyone, for your entries, and I will announce who's won what. But here is. Uh, the, I'm sorry. Lock your ears for Just one, one minute. All right. <laughs> right. I need something from the heart. Something unmistakably barges. Love donuts. Break my ass. My budgie wadgy ass. I dreamed about him. Last night I had that one, you know. And if you break my ass. When you're driving up a quiet country lane. My blow up and jealous man. <laughs> Must a man walk down before you can call him a man? Suddenly from out of the sky, donuts. Hundreds of them. Howdy, partner. 
Is that a Najee shirt? No, it's a Baji shirt. Here's my response, Bowden. Can't be that hard. You just walk up to the table and say, here's your food. Food. All right, kids, let it rip. The answer is blowing in the wind. <laughs> Never again are we running this competition. <laughs> were you up even later than I am right now to mix that together or what? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So that was a combination of everything. Uh, and so the winner of the Bluey DVD box set is Steve. And not you, Steve, another Steve. Uh, oh, damn it. Trust me, they know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Late Show Champagne Edition DVD uh, is Leonard. Uh, Joan Kerner frame poster is Alex. Uh, Tony Martin's and Nest of Occasionals book is Karim. And Michael Warren's three-pack of CDs, Lucky Jackson, I should say, uh, goes to Tim. So... All five entries. <laughs> one gets a prize. Everybody gets a yes. prize. Everyone's a winner. Yes, so congratulations. Which, which, which I think is a, uh, fair enough, uh, yeah, considering um, how much they had to embarrass themselves in order to enter. So I just want to say... And how many things did they have to eat? Um, other than that, we will get right through this too, by the way, because there's so much that has gone on since the last episode as well. So Tommy Dysart passed away, you know, Mr. G-O, G-G-O. Yeah, after we yeah, had no, mentioned him. In, after we mentioned him. Yeah. So. Coincidence. Yeah. Matt, the, Matt, the death cat strikes again. Yes. Yeah. We killed another one. Everybody hurts. I'm so sorry. As well as uh, Logies as well. Um, so uh, Tony did a great job at the Logies. This is the second Logie for Bluey. It also has three actor awards, two Screen Producer Australia awards, an ARIA award, an international Emmy. Far too many things for me to read out here tonight, excepting the award creator Joe Brum, executive producer Daley Pearson, and the team from Ludo Studio. Congratulations, team. Incidentally, the original 1976 Bluey with Lucky Grills as the portly detective was the winner of only one Logie for most pies. <laughs> there were so many to choose, but I thought that would be the most appropriate one for this podcast. As well as Have You Been Paying Attention won their Logie Award and uh, Rob Sitch appeared uh, as part of the Bruce McAvaney uh, Hall of Fame tribute. People used to come up to me and say, I love your Bruce McAvaney send-up. And I'd balk because it didn't start from trying to send it up. It was it was like singing a song you really like. I'd just keep repeating the commentary. Oh, hey, Kathy Lifting, what a legend. 906, it's quick. Bruce, this yep. is actually our show. Yep, fair enough, and you're doing a wonderful job. Really enjoying it so far. And that's what great commentary is. It's it's like the the soundtrack of sport. And in the best of album, the best of Bruce McAvaney, it is the best. I could go on and on, and I will. <laughs> as well as Tony uh, has his own new web series as well called Shut Up. Uh, it's written by Serena Raul, uh, as well as directed by Tony, produced by Serena, Tony and Lewis from Lessons with Lewis, Community TV Melbourne, uh, and starring C- uh, Celia Pacola and Deborah Lawrence. Yeah, worth a look. Okay, well, okay, so, so to celebrate the final episode of this particular series, uh, I got the, the very, very amateur pots and pans together to put up a little sketch 
Um, those of you who are fans of both Get This and the Lonely Hearts Club, there is something in this for both both of you <laughs> or the fans of either. Lonely Hearts Club, I think that's fairly obscure. Um, it is very obscure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, in obscurity. I mean, you know, that is the uh, the motto in Latin across the top of uh, this podcast, is it not? So <laughs> anyway, just uh, I'm, I'm going to cut to uh, cut to my guest, Stephen, for the sketch. Thanks, Stephen. Well, when Matt asked me to put together a, a compilation of celebrities that wanted to pass on their good wishes to the Champagne Podcast for episode 40, I was, of course, honoured to do so. Um, he did ask for Alan Partridge, but I misheard what he said. I did, however, manage to get Alan on the phone. Alan, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, so anything you want to convey to the group, I'm sure they'd really appreciate it. Oh, there's fucking dust in this studio. You know, if it was bloody John Laws or someone, the whole joint would be cleaned out. It's just fucking ridiculous. Oh, Alan, that's alright. Why don't we just try again? Um, whenever you're ready. Oh, shit. Oh, God. Nothing is working today. Did you happen to catch episode 39 of the podcast? Wasn't that parody of Haley Lewis doing Huey Lewis so great? Who the fuck's Huey Lewis? <laughs> Who was the stupid dickhead that said they couldn't take the show? Who was he? That bloke walking around in the white shirt. Uh, that's Matt, our host. And of course he could take the show. <laughs> Don't you know that he has a whole closet full of VHS tapes from the 1990s? So after giving up on Alan... I decided to reach out to another big Australian celebrity, Carl Stefanovic. Jeez, oh, I hope he answers. I mean, it's not that late. Surely he's back <laughs> from the nightclubs by now. Maybe he was dancing and doing the robot. Oh, hey, Carl, this is Stephen calling from the Champagne Comedy... Uh, Carl, it's Stephen. Can you hear... Oh, jeez... Carl, I can't understand you. Can you please speak English? Oh, jeez. Sorry, Matt. I guess I couldn't really bag any big names after... Who could that be? Hello? G'day, it's John Blackman from Telecom Mobile. Then here, who's that? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> That's Blackman strikes again. There you go. So there's my piss poor effort to provide a little bit of uh, pre-recorded levity to the podcast. Thank, thank you very much for that, Stephen. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah, uh, too much effort for oh. a guest. No, it's fine. It was it was well, piss week. <laughs> yes, yeah. I've got the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Genie's program guide. Thanks, Matt. So we're looking at uh, the final look from Ross Warnke's critical guide. Uh, from the Saturday Age, uh, looking at what was up against uh, Season 2, Episode 20. Uh, starting with Channel 7, uh, we've got a trio of movies. At 6.30, we've got Alice in Wonderland. Warnicky rates that as being worth a look. Um, and he uh, says the same for Dumbo at 8.10. Uh, he says about that one, uh, this 1941 animated adventure about a little elephant who turns his handicapped big ears into an asset by learning to fly was perhaps... Walt Disney's most loved film. And I think it probably still is uh, nowadays, apart from maybe the caricatures of the crows, maybe. Um, and then at 9.30, we've got um, a movie which uh, I don't think really pairs along with the earlier two, Superman 4. Uh, says Warnicky, 
Uh, it's the woeful final chapter in the Superman series, made in 1987, which sees our hero trying to rid the world of nuclear weapons. Thoroughly over the top, he says. Over on Channel 9, we've got uh, Hey Hey, It's Saturday. So we kick things off with uh, Yothu Yindi performing World Turning, uh, then Celebrity Head with Russell Gilbert, uh, Lisa Hensley and Wilbur Wilde. Uh, Tina Turner performs I Don't Want to Fight. Uh, then Molly Meldrum uh, interviews Inner Circle live on tape. Later on, we've also got uh, the Commodores performing Night Shift and Shane Howard performing Flesh and Blood. Uh, but uh, I most want to concentrate on Red Faces, uh, but mostly because of the judges. Uh, we've got uh, Tim Capello, uh, Tina Turner's saxophonist, uh, but we also happen to have... Um, a certain uh, skibby wearing member of the Late Show plugging uh, the Best Bits Volume 2. Ladies and gentlemen, from the very popular Late Show on Channel 2, Rob Sitch! Ah. Ah. Is the fact that you've got two gigs on in the one night going to stress you out? No, 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 I'm uh, perfectly relaxed for later on tonight. Excellent. In uh, a few hours. And I can't help notice you have something in your hot hands. Dear me, we've, oh, we've decided to put out a video... Daryl, uh, the best bits of the Late Show Volume Two. It's actually the sketches that weren't good enough for the first volume. Right. So for twenty twenty four ninety five is a bit much for five minutes of videotape. Isn't it? <laughs> now, 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 Dicky. So that's that's out now, is it? Oh, it's absolutely tremendous value. It doubles as a blank for set if you. <laughs> oh, great! You haven't taken a bit out of it, you can over record. I see. All right, Rob. Was there something in that act that you enjoyed? You know, Daryl, on our show, that would count as a highlight. <laughs> it's a six out of ten. Uh, then at 8.30, we've got the movie The Gauntlet. Uh, says Warnicky, uh, Clint Eastwood as victim, that's a turn-up. In this reasonably diverting 1977 action drama, which he directed, he plays a none-too-bright cop uh, escorting a hooker, played by Sandra Locke, to a court hearing to give evidence against mobsters. But the mobsters and their cronies in the police force try every nefarious trick in the book to stop them. Also starring William Prince and Pat Hingle. Uh, and then that's followed at 10.50 by In Excess, Full Moon, Dirty Hearts. Uh, says Warnicky, uh, the video clips of all 12 tracks from the band's new album filmed on the Isle of Capri with the help of Australian filmmaker Richard Lowenstein. Uh, hosted by Richard Wilkins and simulcast with 3 Triple M FM. So, again, kind of a bit of a weird one, especially that late at night. Going over to Channel 10, we've got the movie Unholy Matrimony at 8.30. Uh, Warnicky says that it's a 1988 made-for-TV whodunit about a murder investigation that finds unholy links between the self-styled Bible basher, played by Charles Durning, and the victim's husband, a psychologist, uh, played by uh, Michael O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe. He then puts here with Patrick Duffy as the cop. You know the cop, right? Patrick Duffy? Everybody knows from, the cop. From Dallas, right? And was it step by step or uh, step by step? Yeah, that, is, yeah. that is certainly the, the Patrick Duffy I'm talking about, but um, I've got no idea uh, who the it's cop from Unholy Matrimony is. Yeah, yeah I was thinking uh, TV's Patrick Duffy. Yeah. yeah. And South Park, he played the Patrick Duffy's leg was part of a monster in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the package Duffy <Duffy> <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to SBS, uh, and their 9.30 movie is advertised in the Green Guide as the exquisitely beautiful true story of a tightrope walker and the man she fell for. 
Yes. Very oh. good. So Very it's nice. called <laughs> it's called Elvira Madigan. Uh, Warnicky says that it's uh, the exquisite 1967 Swedish romantic tragedy. The story is unexceptional. A Swedish cavalry officer, played by uh, Tommy Bergren, uh, ditches his wife and children f- and runs off with Elvira, a beautiful tightrope walker, played by Pia Degemark. But Jorgen Persson's photography and Bo Vederberg's direction are stunning. Um, in fact, he, uh, he labels this... Uh, movie as pick of the night now last of all the abc uh for the last time up against the late show we've got birds of a feather season three episode four titled just family um daryl's parents les and olive contact him and tracy for the first time since his trial despite always hating them Tracy invites them around for dinner and Dorian insists on cooking with them for the evening. Although it later turns out that she did this as she was expecting a boyfriend to call her on their number. The dirty cat. <laughs> One last time I just had to put in. <laughs> a few days later, Liz and Olive write a letter to Daryl telling him how amazing Tracy's house is and he suggests they move there uh, from their prefab in Poplar. The girls are horrified by this. When Les, Olive and Tracy all visit him in prison, an argument soon occurs and he finds out what his parents are really like. Uh, that's followed at 10 o'clock by The Late Show. Uh, thankfully, uh, Warnicky does label uh, tonight's finale as worth a look. Um, he writes down that it's a uh, live topical humour with the degeneration and that it's the final for 93. Uh, and then the lead-outs are Order in the House, Parliament at 11pm, uh, a repeat of Smith & Jones at midnight, um, ATVI News at 12.30, and then at 1am Rage with guest programmer Ice-T. Now, um, just quickly, you might be wondering what's turning up next Saturday to replace The Late Show. Um, now, you might think that uh, it might be something in a similar vein, maybe another British comedy to go with Birds of a Feather. Well, this might be a comedy depending on how you look at it. It's Thatcher the Downing Street Years. <laughs> mm, Warnicky says, <laughs> says Warnicky, made for the BBC to coincide with the release of her underwhelming political memoirs. This is a four-part authorised, in uh, quotation marks, account of Maggie Thatcher's years as Britain's PM. So there you go. Laughs of plenty for the next month at 10 o'clock Saturdays. Just watch The Crown. That You, you get a much better, I think, sense of uh, that, the Thatcher years. And you, get see, you get to see Julian Anderson in a beautiful quaffed wig. <laughs> it's all about the quaffed. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, just before we get onto the episode proper, um, I just want to get in the right mood. So just bear with me one moment. There we go. Yay! I thought, you know, considering it's the final episode, I'd actually get some champagne. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any pingers down at uh, BWS. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actual champagne. Are we allowed to say that word on this podcast? (laughs) <laughs> it is it is actual French champagne, but uh, I mean it's you know imported for pinnacle drinks, so it's still you know it's still uh, I don't know what you call it. It's still you know like um, 
important champagne. Yeah, it's 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 important, but it's it's war. It's still Woolworths champagne. It's still it was thirty seven bucks for the bottle. Oh, it's so, uh, It's 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 plonk champagne. I've got the champagne, and I'm ready. Let's get into this. <laughs> All right, now it's time to review Season 2, Episode 20 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, October 30, 1993, and not knowing that this was actually the final episode. Well, I know, Justin, you were in the audience for it. Were you as well, Nick? Actually, October 30th was my birthday, and it was my 16th birthday, and my present from the team was a ticket to the last show. Oh, Oh, wow. wow. Cool present. It was. It was. Well... Happy birthday for that time. <laughs> How much notice late. did they give you? They just give it to you a few days before and you had to hurry up and get ready and go? Well, I can't remember what day we filmed the last Charlie, but they told me then. They said, we'd like to give you a ticket. Like, it's great. <laughs> Fantastic. So if you look carefully in the audience, you might spot me. Oh, we can see you in there. There's footage yep. of you. I saw it too. <laughs> I think I was so, <laughs> so um, one thing I get uh, looking uh, at this last episode on the home side of the screen is that um, there seems to be a really big atmosphere in the room. What was it like actually being there? It's insane. Obviously, everyone who was there really desperately wanted to be there. They were all massive fans. And again, didn't know really what to expect. Um, and it, it's just a great place to be, really. It was. It was an incredible atmosphere um, inside. And uh, they amped it up, and it was, uh, I believe, Judith, Judith Lucy did the warm up. And she gave me so much shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone knew you were there. Yeah, I remember her saying that uh, she has to watch her language because there's a piss weak kid, an actual child in the audience here, so I can't, I can't say shit. So like, it was <laughs> Which was quite fun. The audience is certainly going a bit out of their minds. You, you oh, know, yeah. we talked the, the previous episode, they were really crazy, you know, yeah. and, and this, this week is exactly the same. But, um, I mean, the thing that's going to come up in this episode is they keep talking about this is the last episode for 93, yeah. you know, and sitting at home, I just assumed they would be back in 94, and mm. they never were. And, you know, was there any sense that this was, they were going to carry on at that point, or, you know, was did, had they secretly decided this is it? I don't know what their thinkings were with it. I mean, we obviously sort of thought we might have got more gigs out of it, I, I guess, Um but they always seem to have more projects coming up, I guess. But, yeah, it didn't feel like it was the end. Um, not from my end anyway, but uh, mm. it was pretty exciting. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get straight into it then. So with the opening, uh, Christmas treats at your local ABC shop, which doesn't really exist now, does it? Uh, oh, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> I miss Ballet. the ABC stores. Yeah, such as uh, the best bits of the Late Show Volume Two, which you know they've been shamelessly plugging the entire time, and uh, then you have some other junk that we don't really care about, other than the fact that they had this. At long last, the complete series of Birds of a Feather has been released on VHS. At seven ninety nine, it's cheaper than a blank cassette, and that is entertaining. <laughs> well, one 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 quick piece of trivia though is that one movie they they talk about was called the, the Plank, 
which I guess I think they ribbed for saying that ABC would play it to death. It was actually Bill Oddie's film debut. Well, well, uh, there, there are two different versions of the plank, and and which which one was on sale? Because I've actually got a VHS, which is the Bill Oddie version, and it's got a different cover to the one that's on screen. So it could be the remake. There was one they did in the seventies, which is the remake, and then there's the original, which has got Bill Oddie in it, which is done in the mid sixties. Well, when you guys do the Plank podcast, we can find <laughs> out all about it. We can dissect both versions in ridiculous detail. <laughs> well, when we when we do, I've got a copy. Which version? Which version is it? I actually don't know because I I haven't watched it yet. I've I've actually, I've, I've actually I shit you not. I've actually got two copies. <laughs> of the bloody, like, the I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how how I, I got two copies because I was I've been raiding all all of all of my DVD archives, uh, uh, looking for working dog DVDs. But uh, I've also got uh, the Eric Sykes collection, which also has the plank. Again, I don't know which version, along with a few other sort of similar specials. My, my sort of my my gathering from the the disparaging marks about um, uh, the three days the ABC aren't running it is that this is essentially what uh, what the ABC would would have been running um, before Mr Bean came onto the scene pretty much because it's in that same sort of similar vein where it's sort of very minimal dialogue easy to understand family comedy yeah it's 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 visual comedy basically there's a there's another one that got repeated a few times which is called mr h is late which is about a funeral and of course the the deceased is in his coffin at the top of a tower block and then they the lift breaks and they have to bring the coffin down the stairs and you know it goes on and on so yeah eric sykes very much your kind of go-to guy in the 60s and 70s for your visual comedy and yeah obviously um yeah it was either the test pattern or uh, or the plank. Yeah, pretty much. Often both at the same time. <laughs> All right. So after the opening titles, you've got the remarks with Tony and Mick confirming it is the final episode for 93. Uh, 40 episodes. Mick's been all nostalgic and he digs up their pilot tape, which is basically a, a clip show from 1950s archival footage of kids making a TV show which is quite impressive because that's how bad as this podcast was if you ever go back to have a listen to our first few episodes, which were very uh, black and white and rust bucket. Yeah, that, that's fair. But there, there is one bit you forgot to mention, and that, that is just before they they go into their routine. They Mick says, shall we do the one with the bricks, which is a callback to the first episode and, and the routine with, I just found these in my pants and pulls out two bricks. And then Tony goes, I just found this in my pants. And he's got a hat stand. Yeah, good little um, nice. uh, bringing everything full circle. So John Hewson accuses ABC boss David Hill after airing his pro-Republican views and ABC's basically tainted all those issues. And then Tony backs up David and when they're going on, you know, about David Hill, then he's basically, it's more or less a visual joke of uh, David Hill taking over the writing or the supers on the screen and starts going very Benny Hillish in one way or another when he tells Camera 4 to eventually move to uh, someone in the audience. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I was followed by... Followed by, followed by, followed by a, a, a core Why Can't We Give Her a series. Yeah. Yeah, I was more distracted by Mick's uh, striped red shirt and the, the red curtain background. He just kind of blended into that, didn't he? <laughs> No love for the super that says the queen sucks. Thank you. That that was uh, 
they could have just left it at that really and it would have been would have been mm. brilliant oh yeah the, the pro-republican thing was all about uh being under the monarchy or become a republic not the other stuff so yeah, um, I, wonder how, I wonder how that went anyone remember what the result was oh, i'm just really I struggling watch. here <laughs> What, back in 99? Yeah. Um, yeah, it that's... was like, I think it was like uh, 53 47 against, yeah. I think. So it was, it was pretty close, but not close enough. Yeah. Not close as Brexit, but. As, as, as Tony Martin used to say, once Steve Weizard got involved, people just turned off the whole idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure everybody was distracted by the text running along the bottom of the screen. But did you actually pay attention to what Mick and Tony were talking about during all of that interruption? Like they were, they were, they were talking about David Hill being some sort of a, a, um, a playboy mansion kind of a figure. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, Mick would go around for parties at David Hill's place and spot Tim Bowden in a thong G-string and, uh, <laughs> uh, and only one of the bananas in uh, pyjamas due, uh, due to a split, of course. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, nice. Again, I think I think everybody was uh, concentrating on uh, on the woman in the audience. Cool. <laughs> I know I won't do that sound again. Uh, there was other <laughs> bagging out of George Michael um, and you know of topic you know story of the time. Um, then there was talk about the new ten dollar note uh, with Banjo Patterson on one side and Sophie Formica on the other. That brought the laughs from the audience. And there was the Qantas ad cock up, which when there has not been a Qantas ad cock up over the years, uh, because they were busted for filming tourists walking along a beach in Hawaii instead of being in Australia. So I, I do yeah. vaguely remember that. Uh, I actually try to find. Uh, on that ad on YouTube, but it's like a mountain in a molehill. Um, sorry, no, that's not the term. Needle in a haystack. Yeah, oh, needle wow. in a haystack. Sure, he's, he's getting, getting late, isn't it? Episode four, he's getting late. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, you know, we we call Anne Nicole Australian. She, she was she was born in Hawaii, so maybe there's a whole connection of like we just decide as Australians to usurp Hawaii if it suits our needs. Possibly. Yeah, just yeah. like we use uh, New Zealand, we say they're Australian when it suits our needs too. Exactly. I noticed Crowded the, House, Russell yeah, yeah. Things have not changed. Obviously, when, when Mick says, well, it would make more sense if my luggage was in Hawaii, <laughs> stuck there. There's all this uh, yep. controversy at the moment with people's luggage going everywhere now that Qantas has outsourced everything. So, yes, things have not changed. <laughs> what do you think? Give us a call. We'll be right back after these noises. As long as you don't talk about interest rates. Oh, no, not the interest rates. Jargon again. Long story. So, so yeah, this uh, this corner story is basically giving uh, giving them the green light to put uh, every international cliche under the sun um, alongside uh, shots of Qantas planes. So, you know, things like the Grand Canyon and the Egyptian pyramids and Italian gondolas and the Eiffel Tower. Sung by Jane. <laughs> See, yeah. was Jane? I, I was wondering that. Yeah, it's Jane. Okay, I figured. Yeah, it's it's, it's not a bad sort of uh, stylistic uh, piss take of the uh, of those grand, well, I still call "Stay at Home" uh, songs that Qantas use. And one thing I think you missed earlier is that this was, at least in my memory, the first um, mention that Tony makes of him and Andrew Denton being, um, you know, closely resembled. So you're talking about, I think it was actually in the, in, was it in the super, uh, super impose about um, T 
Tony wearing a jacket that used to belong to Andrew Denton? Yeah, that's in the super. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm going back over my notes for that. Yeah, I always thought he might have mentioned uh, the resemblance earlier. I know Where's Wally was definitely one of them. And the Diff Lamb guy, obviously. Oh, but, oh yeah, obviously, as, as pointed out by our very own Alison. Now we've got a live sketch, and it's Rob as John Houston bringing out the face putty. And he looks <laughs> pretty cool. Man, what, what a great Max Headroom makeup job that was. <laughs> so, and, and this is all about his image, really. Well, John, what do you reckon? Who's... Very, very funny. They've put a Labrador to scuba dive. No, no, not the odd spot. Keating. Oh, Keating article. He's made a direct attack on you. John, you're going to have to do something. Okay. I'll challenge Paul Keating. I challenge the Prime Minister. I'm going to challenge you in the Parliament of Australia. John, you're going to have to do something that will capture the imagination of the Australian people. Like resign or something like that. How was the audience, Justin, when you were watching this? Uh, it, it's just great. Like it, it, they would laugh at every single thing that was was going on, and, and particularly seeing Rob coming out. Any time he's made up, is always going to be <laughs> just funny. Yes, <laughs> it's quite a good makeup job this time because you yeah. know previously he's come out as a character. And you can see kind of tape falling off, and you know <laughs> th- this is this looks like they've had a bit of time to do it. But um, there's one thing that I wanted to mention because this is normally where we would have Tommy G at the news desk. And for the Mm. past couple of episodes, we haven't had Tommy G at the news desk. Mm. And I've kind of got this theory that, like, it was getting towards the end of the series. And I reckon writing the material and sourcing all the clips and everything for Tommy G's news desk probably took so much time that they thought, actually, let's just not do the news desk and we'll just put a sketch in. Because you've noticed they've done a kind of political sketch in the past couple of couple of weeks so this is my theory as to why this this sketch actually exists because it's easier to write and produce it than to do the full news desk segment which is a shame because I, li- I like the stupid puns and I, and I like the blackman jokes um we do get a blackman joke in this sketch though of course hello oh it's it's john Houston here from telecom mobile <laughs> who's that John Blackman here, Don. This is my gig, all right? So rack off. Very, very cool. Very nice. Go on, you blackers. Yeah. And and this is actually kind of, we're going to get a lot of these um, throughout the rest of this episode of just people who they've been referring to in the series just turning up to have a bit bit of a go themselves. So, yeah. John Blackman, but plenty more big names to come. Mm-hmm. That's right. Speaking mm-hmm. of big names. Charlie, we love you. Yeah, it's a very Charlie <laughs> Christmas. And uh, you know what? I feel like skipping this altogether because mm-hmm. it was a pretty, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. We've made, we've made Nick and Justin sit here for ages. <laughs> uh, yeah, a very Charlie Christmas. And uh, Charlie's back. He's alive after being shot JFK style and um, yeah, he's made a full recovery. What a wonder dog he is. When was this filmed? Uh, I've got to say, like, was it during the whole collection of when you're doing Charlie and then, uh, or was it like a few weeks later, a few months later to go, oh crap, we've got to wrap it up basically for the final episode. Like how, how did a very Charlie uh, Christmas come it, about? Well, we didn't think we were coming back. Yeah. I think it was, uh, it was well had finished it and we sort of, the way they structured the show was that we were going to have the first half of the series was going to be Charlie the Wonder Dog and the second half was Barjas. That was, wasn't it? Yeah. And 
so we figured the second half we weren't going to feature it at all. And then they were coming up to the last episode and they just called us and said, we're doing another one. Okay, we, we thought it was dead. We thought Charlie was dead. We, we <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was, it was quite bizarre. But we didn't take long to film that one because we were all in one really location good. the entire yeah, time yeah. and we just went right through it. So it was pretty good because they'd done all the location stuff for all the guests on that. Lots of guests. <laughs> Yeah, there is, there is quite quite a noticeable uh, quite a noticeable uh, change in quality between uh, the the recalling uh, the recalling segments, which uh, look like they've been shot on professional yeah. quality, you know, beta cam kind of stuff, and the the celebrity cameos, which you know do look like um, you know the VHS uh, camcorder out of the funniest home videos prize cupboard quality. Yeah. Well. It, Santa always used it was a Sony handy camera. I think, I think so. Yeah, around around on. yeah, all of the Charlie stuff was all shot on a Sony. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, that, it was quite good. But we did it pretty quickly. It was, it was a pretty quick one to knock that one over. Actually, yeah. um, great fun though. Yeah, always fun. Every episode was <laughs> a sack of fun. Yeah. Yeah, there was only one quick bit where Charlie arrives at the door, and then I don't see you you with him in the in the indoor scenes. Was that is that all you saw of Charlie that day? That was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't think he, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie was on set. I must admit that. So Ellie was there as well. Uh, the stuff so, <laughs> who directed these episodes? Was it Santa? Was it like the Santo being the director and director of photography at the same time? Yes. Uh, no, he yeah. wasn't directing. Rob directed. Okay. Was the wrangler, yeah. the animal, the, the dog, handler, the dog wrangler, and Santo um, filmed it. Filmed it. Yeah. And, and was Rob, you know, like Kubrick style, just like take out the take out the takes to get it perfect? Or was it more just like, okay, shoot once, okay, it was good enough, right, next one? Hey guys, here's the script. Did you get that? No worries, and move on. Try yeah. and remember as much as you can, and then we'll, we'll just film and how bad you're actually going to be. Remember, be as bad as you want as well. Yeah, worse was better. Worse was always better. So I use that same approach when I do Skytrack as well, which you can Now, Nick, um, what what was your time, your experience uh, filming? Like Justin uh, explained it to us in a previous episode that he was on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. How hard was it for you to do your lines, or like because you're you're quite younger? Like, how, what's the age difference between the two of you? Uh, six years. So I was born in '83, so I would have been sort of like eight or nine. Yeah. At the at the time of that shooting, mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely do remember that. You know, when I was younger, I had huge teeth, uh, a weird sort of shaped jaw. I couldn't really pronunciate pronunciate. Still can't do it. Pronunciate words that well. Uh, and when they cottoned on to that, they tended to try to give me as big a words as they possibly could. Um, and the worse I could say them was probably the better. Uh, Exchange students. Yeah, freak week silo accident, I think, was in there somewhere as well. So there were some weird ones that they really tried to throw at me. And I think the harder it was or the worse it came out was probably the better that it was shot. But uh, but it was, a, it was a stack of fun. I don't know if, oh, if yeah. Jazzy said it in the last one, but... Um, you know, we used to, I, I definitely called Rob Uncle Rob for two years because he, he, was, he was kind of, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he was kind of, um, he kind of was like your your weird fun uncle at the yeah. time. And um, and he was just like a big kid uh, pretty much the whole way through. So it was, you know, I, I've actually got two boys now that are eight and nine. So they're the same age as me when, when I was doing that at the time. Um, and I, I don't know if I would have entrusted 
those guys with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and not to mention as well, like Bud was definitely a very grandfather. Figure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the he entire, and he treated us like grandchildren the entire time, and he always had a pocket full of minties, and he, yeah, he was yeah. classic just old man. amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. No. Did you did you get like um did you get uh, Christmas cards from Bud with like with, with an iron one dollar bill inside? <laughs> <laughs> or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> with uh, other than um the Pisswick kids, uh, you also ha- uh, did some other bits and pieces with the Late Show, such as yep. appearing as uh the Chicken Tonight parody, Dickhead Tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah That's probably the one that I that people mention most, I think. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now I, I got it. Like, um, well, we've got both of you here now. Um, well, Justin has praised, you know, saying like it's a privilege. He rides with it. Like it's all cool. How do you feel about um, like, as long as people, I guess, make fun of it, uh, but do it in a humorous way instead of you know encouraging you on just to stir you up? How do you feel about when people quote stuff to you straight away yeah. from the show? No, it's heaps of fun. It's heaps of fun. I think like I don't actively sort of go out of my way to tell people because it's still, you know, sort of a subset uh, TV show, subculture TV show, and not everyone really knows about it and necessarily um, uh, the characters that were in it. But, uh, you know, a lot of times someone has discovered it. it. Usually (laughs) they discover it and it kind of, you know, spreads itself out and, um, and, and yeah, you just go along with it. Like it's a, it's a pretty, it was a pretty fun, an awesome time of my childhood and uh, I don't see any negative connotations to it at all. So, um, and no one is ever negative. The people that do know it uh, all usually love it. So there's, there's never any real negative connotations to it. I mean, I guess a lot of people do embarrassing things when they were kids. We just had it on film, but yeah, lots and lots of people right. have watched. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've also skipped over one of Justin's biggest credits, which is um, spotty drug cook in underbelly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> and I only got that gig because I actually knew I worked in a pub and I knew all the gangsters that you were actually involved in the underbelly story. Oh. And I had bugged up my leg and I walked into the casting with my regular cast and I was on crutches. So I looked terrible. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much, yeah. I provided my own spots. In that one. But funny story with filming that underbelly is that uh, one of the actors on board was Angus Sampson, who's huge now. And um, I walked onto set and introducing ourselves and got kind of grantly and then and uh, walk over and there's Angus Sampson and said, G'day, I'm Justin. He goes, No way. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. He goes, You're the piss weak kid. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I am. I am. And I went to put my hand out to shake it. He goes, No, we hug now. And he just leaned in. <laughs> but that was really okay. cool. Yeah, Can great. I say that was one of the best Angus Samson impersonations I've also heard? So <laughs> you just did a name drop for Angus Samson, which is fantastic. That's so meta. As I get this fan, that is so meta. <laughs> Do you are you both still active in um, the I guess entertainment industry? Uh, not apart from popping up on random podcasts here and there. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, well, I am as well. I've got a theatre company called Bit and Bite Productions. Um, I started with a couple of mates uh, back in 2013, and we do shows around Melbourne. Uh, I'll be directing one later in the year, um, which is coming up. So, yeah, we got. I still get my hand in there every now and again. Uh, 
played the occasional spotty drug cook. Um, Surly bartender is another good one I've had. Jake's mate is another good character I've played before. Oh, uh, classic, uh, classic. I remember that one. Uh, the slap, I was uh, magpie cap-wearing man. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're in Stingers as well. I was, yeah. That's... Halifax FP is young man number two. That was a good <laughs> not one. Not that, man... that episode actually featured Hugh Jackman as well, going back uh, in the day. I mean, this, is like, this, is like a, this is a name drop challenge right here. I mean, right. Bang, bang, star after star. Yeah, um, I just don't have great enough credits on top of that. Oh, Matt, there's always Bruce. You can always fall back on Bruce. Oh, Bruce Lally, yeah. <laughs> Bruce from Sky Truckers, everyone. Just want to point that out. Uh, that, that's uh, fantastic. Like, you guys are uh, iconic uh, for being part of the whole um, late show and, you know, just being something which is probably one of the most easiest acting performances that you could do. Uh, you could call it acting. Simulated acting. The funny thing is that I, I kind of fell into the role because I didn't. Oh, yeah. I wasn't really involved in acting or anything like that. Juzzy, yeah. Juzzy always was. And um, and they just needed a, a younger sibling. That, and I happened to be an actual younger sibling, essentially. Um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, I, I did some bits and pieces here and there, but yeah, do it is uh, in terms of the late show stuff. That was I was just riding on the coattails of Jelly on that one. Because yeah, your parents also are part of um, the Piss Week world as well. Weren't okay. they? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Mum was Jane not there one day. And, That's right. Yeah, and Mum was the only other woman that happened to be there, so she <laughs> got thrown in. And I think Dad was wearing a footy jumper or something. Yeah, pushing pushing a. And he's all sitting sitting next to me in the finale as well. <laughs> yeah, well, your parents are very active on Facebook, uh, interacting with the Light Show, the Champagne Comedy page as well. So, yeah, no. yeah no, your family are fantastic. So, they I'm sorry that sounds friends. a bit sucky, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's great. Ten weeks since we last saw uh, Charlie the Wonder Dog. Uh, does that count as the world's shortest reboot? <laughs> Do you remember this sketch off by heart or anything like that? Or was it... Like, can you remember your lines or your throwaway bullet points, I guess? At the time that Charlie successfully lobbied the Deputy Prime Minister to stop something in Ravenswood. Good not, not, not bad. Wood chipping. Wood chipping. Wood chipping. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, yeah, like, like we, we, we are subjected to a cavalcade of cameos here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. Did you know about all these when when you had the script? Did you know that he would, that Charlie would be um, oh, so busy? I don't know if they had already filmed all of them or not when we'd actually done it, or they they must have done something or knew they were about to film them because they were obviously lines. I don't think there were any extra lines that they didn't use though. Um, but yeah, it seemed really quite interesting. I think Mel got into the manpower one a little bit too much though. Possibly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also feel like this is like an era where we, we saw almost like the last of Australian politicians being prepared to be on camera in a sort of non-chaser kind of way yeah. so wasn't, wasn't Bob Hawke on a country practice once like yeah, yeah. to get, to get the, the Deputy Prime Minister on the Late Show is a, yeah. is a pretty sort of, I think significant you know thing, signal of support whether it's implicit or not yeah it was was that at the time? Um, yeah, that was good fun, though. And, and Bud certainly got into it. Um, 
is pretty animated in that one. I think so. <laughs> well, he, well he, he, get, he gets to say what is quite possibly his catchphrase in this series. He truly is a wonder dog to yeah. which everybody says... He sure is. There's not only two I, I want to mention, which would be um, a bit of recycling, I think, of uh, John Farnham's Sandhurst Machinery studio footage uh, with a bit of, yeah, Charlie cutting into that. Yeah. Um, and also um, Charlie being on Red Faces again with John Farnham. Now, I'm sort of wondering whether that might have been uh, – Recorded last Saturday when it was just Fancy Arama on uh, on Hey Hey it's Saturday. <laughs> I, do, I don't I, I don't know whether Matt, do you, are you still paying credit card uh, you know monthly payments to Daryl Summers it, to, it, it was, to, to check that? It was that episode, and then obviously they've probably gone into film Charlie being on the Red Faces panel, and it's like, well, since uh, you're here, you, we did you a favour. How about you do us a favour and come back as a judge <laughs> on Red Faces the next week? And it's the reason why Rob was like there holding up the VHS of uh, the best bits of the Late Show Volume 2 to plug away, sitting there looking a little bit awkward. And we're on stage now, and it's Santo uh, reading out the late mail, and Anthony Gribble from Newcastle writes in to ask to if they know another one for song lyrics like the previous episode. Um, but if they know the lyrics to Come On Aussie, Come On, and it was just a, a summary of, just an excuse really to write their own version. It's basically a Where Are They Now version. Hair's gone yellow. Charlie keeps getting caught saying F on screen. Good old Jane singing in the background of that song as well. Yeah, nice little callback to well, sort of ten years ago or probably even before that. I remember that song when I was a young kid being on TV quite a lot mm. in the early eighties. But uh yeah. Yeah. Had had and, been on hardback. A hark back to when it seemed like every cricketer had a book. Yeah. When when uh, Max Walker was was peddling his book at the t- at the time, but you had and we see an- another cricketer's book uh, later later on in this episode. Um, it like everyone had one, of course. You know, with Tim Zura as well. The gloves are off now for the facts. So they all had one at one point. Well, yeah, that that whole inspired um, Warwick Todd as well. Uh, Tom Gleisner's oh, yes. cricketing character and. Uh, yeah. Probably down here I've got... Oh, look, here they are. Uh, here we go. Here's a couple of Warwick Todds for you. There's there's two of them. Excellent. Um, yep. And another one. Oh, no, not that one. This one. There we go. There's three of them. Oh, that's a perfect mo. Really is. It's, it's uh, a Boone-esque. <laughs> Many more lookalikes. Uh, some which are quite impressive and some which are like, eh, but they were getting better and better. I quite enjoyed the one with Tony and Elvis. Yeah, well, that, yeah. Was, that was quite... That uh, was not too uncanny. bad. Yeah. yeah. I think I think my favourite was uh, the one which just seemed to be some random nude guy um, uh, who people seem to mistake for Nick Malloy. Easy mistake. It did seem to scream drunken. Which is also, I think, Mick was saying uh, his photo on his on his passport. <laughs> yes. 
I do wonder if he's like that now at, uh, at his new pub gig. So they lead into bar just, but before they do, they do have a bit of a power outage. And we've... Uh, we're, oh. I think the gener main generator may have blown. I better go fire up the the emergency. Oh, yeah, be careful, Tom, yeah, I will. Tom, you be very careful. Play the video or something while I'm going. We'll just uh, stay here and mention, of course, the best bits of the Late Show Volume Two is uh, <laughs> now available. You'd, you'd think that have something you know worked out, but we're gonna come up. Oh, fantastic! Thanks, George. Thirty times Tom. A little bit faster. <laughs> Good old George Negus. <laughs> Yeah, on an exercise bike, run, running the whole of the ABC, apparently. Very loyal employee. Yeah. Well, and watching that back again, like I remember that 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 scene very well. But looking at when I was watching on on the old uh, VHS tape this week, and like that bike is very old. I'm like, was the was it like the ABC like in house gym that old where it had like a bike from you know like the 1960s or 50s, like you know, and they sort of just like dragged it out to the to the backstage it looked it, it did look very proper for its place in that sort of um where there was you know transformers and cables and things like that well their costume department was basically like the world's best op shop it was, <laughs> <laughs> and it was ancient um a lot of things in there there's some really cool stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i bet what what else would there have been some hidden gems in there like uh uh, when we had the work experience kid, uh, Julie Poulter, on the podcast, mm -hmm. she was explaining a couple of things how, you know, things are a little bit tight and so forth, but there were some golden nuggets for the TV nerds or just the Australian history of it all. W would you know if there was anything that was iconic that you would have seen there at the time? I do know that almost all of the costume stuff that they got James Wright, who was the, the bad guy in the show, um, most of his costume pieces were all left over from uh, Homicide. I think, or, yeah, so some of the bad hats and all that sort of thing were actually props used from from that. Um, I don't think we have any. Nothing I can remember. Yeah. Sort of. But when you were originally doing Piss Week World, yep. were you wearing just your own clothing? It was just our clothes. Yeah, yeah. So that's how bad it was. Yeah. I had <laughs> no costumes. No special <laughs> costumes. <laughs> Yeah, that's just what we turned up in. They go, great, you look terrible. Yeah. Uh, the other thing <laughs> I had was uh, one of the first episode of Charlie was just a knockoff Stussy shirt that I got from Pipeworks Leisure Market. Uh, but the um, second time I wore a green flannelette shirt, they said, you need to wear that same flannelette shirt every single episode now. So it was... <laughs> well, that, that I think been... a lot of us had a flannelette shirt in the early 90s. They oh, were kind of a thing, weren't they? Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and the hypercolor t-shirt to match absolutely obviously yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no happy pants so we, uh, we didn't go that time <laughs> uh, stacks of slacks <laughs> I used to live across on racks the, I used to live across the road from the dashboard doctor which I think is oh, oh wow. wow I remember we looked um, that up when to see if it was still there it's on Sydney Road in uh Cumberland. Um, and yeah, I, I moved a few years ago and I was living across the road from my baddies. I know exactly where it was still called the dashboard. Yeah. Oh, that, that's gold. That, um, the selling point. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been raised the price, the value of your, your place. So here's the important part. So Tony goes to explain uh, the upcoming final episode of Barjas, uh, where you know there is a pixelated face of a particular actor. Now, Daniel, 
would you like to explain or you know what i'll just give the the whole floor over to you well yeah i had to uh go standing through my uh yeah box set of bluey and uh yeah basically our obscured actor um the bits we see of him they're actually from two separate episodes the one with him going walking into barjasta's office is from the episode after where he comes out it turns out that uh it's uh our mystery actor is Fred Parslow, and uh, he played the uh, chief superintendent in three episodes of Bluey. Um, now, we are definitely not defaming him because um, he passed away uh, on uh, Australia Day in 2017, so you can't defame the dead, apparently. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he was sort of known more for his acting work. Um, I can't vouch for any of his uh, theatre restaurant work um, as uh, Tony alleges. Yeah, he was uh, certainly seen in uh, quite a few uh, fellow Crawford's productions um, like uh, Cop Shop uh, and uh, The Sullivans, uh, as well as Bluey. He also appeared in The Magic Boomerang, uh, Against the Wind, Skyways, Neighbours, The Paperman, Mission Top Secrets, uh, telemovie Burn the Butterflies, and a miniseries A Long Way From Home. I don't know quite why uh, he didn't want to be uh, depicted. You know, uh, it certainly it makes for interesting watching that if you do get the blue, um, the bluey box set. Well, that's actually a good point because we've, we've found now between the two series that The Late Show have redubbed, there are uh, actors that feel like perhaps that their original material has been sullied um, by what The Late Show has done. And I actually happened to uh, go through the Get This archives on, uh, on both Microfiche and uh, H-Track <laughs> and found this, uh, this snippet from Tony. There was an actress who was in the original series, Rush, who's uh, now passed away. Her name is Olivia Hammett. Yeah, we did this thing called The Olden Days, and we were halfway through doing it, and she called up to say that it was disgusting and it was, uh, you know, a sacrilege on, on all the actors who were in it, and she wanted to be cut out of it. And I'd already written the next episode, oh. and she was in it. And because she was the only woman in Rush, she was in, like, every scene. Yeah. So it was almost impossible to cut around her. And I'd written this, and it's a joke which, if sorry to go way back into history, but if you remember the olden days, is a bit where Governor Frontbottom does a chicken impression because he's insane. Yeah. And I really like that joke. <laughs> and they said, you've got to cut that scene out. And I said, oh, offer some cash. Let's see just how principled she is. So Michael Hirsch called up yeah. Olivia Hammett and said, I know you've got all these high and mighty principles about acting, yeah. but how much would we have to pay you just to play that one joke? And she said three grand. Wow. So I wrote her a check of my own money for $3,000 just so that joke could go to ear. So that is a $3,000 chicken <laughs> joke. Wow. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, obviously nothing in Tony's coppers for uh, Fred Parslow. That's amazing. You can only sign so many $3,000 checks, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Barge Yes. <laughs> the final entry, uh, which is The Last Temptation of Barjas, adapted from the letters of St. Paul to the Corinthians, with special guest Arthur, Uncle Arthur, I should say. Bleh. And speaking of special guest, who do we have on the line here? Hello, I'm Chandra. I am Lucky Krill's daughter, or Barjas' daughter. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> hey. Yeah, it's a little Welcome. Barjas. 
Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast tonight, Chandra. Well, thanks for having me. And we are all huge fans of, or well, other than Barjas, like we, we absolutely love, well, some of us anyway love Bluey, we have watched it. Um, and like, how does it feel to have such an iconic uh, or piss take of your father on the show? It's pretty amazing. I have to say I'm very proud, um, always have been, but yeah, definitely very proud. So it's, um, it's, it's exciting to see that, you know, he's still going strong despite the fact that he's not around anymore. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. And how old were you when, uh, when Barjas was out? Were you of the age where uh, you, you had peers that were uh, coming to you saying, look at this, look, look what's happened? Yeah, I would have been, um, I was in high school. So I think I was around about year 10 or year 11. Um, and, yeah, it was actually, uh, it was quite hilarious because we were studying a book in English called The Removalist. And we had a sub-teacher one day and he happened to mention Barjas without even knowing that I was his daughter. And um, everyone in the class was sitting there having a good old laugh and looking at me and he was the only one that had no clue what was going on and um, said, oh, this is similar to Barjas. I don't know whether anyone's seen that. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and everyone sort of looked at me and they said, sir, you don't know who Shannara is. And he's like, no, who is she? And they said, oh, it's Barjas' daughter. And he just... His jaw just dropped and he looked at me like, no way. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really good topic of conversation for that particular lesson. And, Shanra, was um, the revival of Bluey a bit of a surprise to your dad? I guess it was. It was, and he actually loved it. He was so proud that they brought it back out, and especially in the way that they did, um, because it kind of, you know, despite the fact that he was always popular, it kind of brought everything to life again. And, you know, they brought out all the merchandise and everything like that. So he was just absolutely thrilled. You know, he'd come home and he'd give us T-shirts and, and videos and all sorts of things. He'd give these to your friends. And, you know, I'd be walking through Westfield and see people wearing Barjar shirts and I'd sort of have a little laugh to myself. So, yeah, it was it was really really quite cool were we in the same area because um i was i live in the cogra area and i believe uh barjas was mentioned that and when and when he was uh, doing the sydney show so we may well have been uh going past each other at the westfields yeah that's quite possible because at the time dad actually lived in cogra um at the time so yeah he was still around he, he ended up moving to Queensland um, a few years later but yeah it was pretty exciting that you know it was quite close to home everyone you know knew who he was and and it was just a, a really great great way to um, bring back you know the the bluey thing so he was pretty happy about that. Shanra does, does your dad ever tell you any stories about the making of bluey? Yes he did actually I was very young at the time that Bluey was made I would have only been a toddler um and he used to tell me um all sorts of stories later on obviously when I was a lot older um he my mum actually used to tell me that when Bluey was played during the day and my dad was at work and they'd play episodes of it mum would have it on the tv and in the end she had to turn it off because I couldn't I'd go up to the tv and I'd touch the tv and I'd be saying dad 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 and you know I couldn't understand why he couldn't hear me and I used to get quite upset so mum said okay we're not playing that anymore so yeah but no he as I got older he definitely had lots of stories about um you know like just the revamp of it and, and the voices and how it sort of came to be what it was. So, yeah, definitely lots of stories there. One thing that I didn't realise 
until many, many years later was uh, the theme song to Bluey was also the theme song to Channel 9's uh, Wild World of of Sports cricket coverage. And I'm wondering... (laughs) Did you have the same effect, effect when you sort of heard if the you know, if the telly was on the background and suddenly you heard you know the, the cricket start? Yeah, you were on I the did. TV going, oh, daddy's on, daddy's on. Yeah, I did actually. Um, it, it didn't click at first, but I remember one day just sitting there and and you know while World of Sports was on and and it played and the cricket was on or something, and I thought, oh my god, that's the same song that they used from Barja. So yeah, it didn't didn't <laughs> click straight away, but when it did, I had a good old chuckle to myself. Thought it was rather funny. That's great. Uh, it's it's called New Horizons and it's by Brian Bennett. If you're looking for it on the streaming services, and believe it or wow. not, it is, it is on the streaming services. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you've got children, correct? Yes, I do. I've got four boys. Okay, have they seen Barjars? Uh, they haven't. Uh, well, the older two have because um, there's a bit of an age gap between them. Um, so the younger two don't really know anything about their grandfather. They're a bit too hard. To, it's a bit too hard for them to understand at their age because um, they're only sort of five and six. Um, but the older two, yes, they became um, a bit more knowledgeable about it. I used to tell them things and show them things. And there was a couple of times where they had similar um Similar things happened to them. One of my kids was in class one day and they had um, a, a moment where they brought a telly in and they, you know, instead of doing classwork, they said, we're just going to put on a video for everyone today. And they put on an episode of um, Mortified, the show Mortified, the kids show. And um, it was the particular one that my dad was in. He did two episodes on that. And my son was sitting there and and the teacher said, oh, I don't know if anyone knows, but that's actually Jordan's grandfather. And everyone looked at him and went, no, it's not. And he sort of put his head down <laughs> a bit embarrassed. And they said, yes, yes, it is actually. So, yeah, there were a few things that happened like that. And there was um, another time where um, my son's school actually asked me to come in and do like a talk on him to all the kids in the library because they were talking about anyone that had famous relatives and, and things like that. So, of course, they you know, called me up and said, oh, would you mind coming in and doing a talk on your dad and bringing in some material, you know, some things you might have like magazines or, you know, anything that you can sort of show the class about who he was and stuff. So, yeah, that was a little bit of fun. I did that um, many years ago. You must have some good memorabilia then. I do. I actually have quite a cupboard full. So I've got, um, you know, I've got his books. I've got many, many photos. I've got um, posters from... um, you know, ads that he did, I think at one point he did a Steggles chicken ad or something, and there's a poster of him in the butcher's outfit um, and many other things. Basically anything that, you know, was of any importance um, got handed to me and my brother when he passed away. And, and of course, we already had a few things that Dad had given us over the years. So, yeah, I have quite the collection. Hopefully uh, your younger uh, kids will be able to uh, watch the box set of Bluey and, uh, you know, be able to see, well, I mean, basically, uh, Barjars and Bluey aren't that far removed, really, I think. Uh, I mean, there's you know, there's just far fewer fart gags in Bluey, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, really, like, Lucky Brill's uh, playing, um, yeah, Sergeant Bluey Hills. Uh, yeah, he's, he's essentially an unconventional, you know, kind of a cop, but, uh, yeah, certainly a very uh, larrikin sort of no-nonsense bloke. <laughs> And sort of, yeah, even, even though it is a serious drama, it does have uh, these great comic elements. Absolutely, throughout. yeah. No, I'm, look, when they get um, a bit older to understand, I'll definitely introduce them to that and sit them down and, 
you know, give them a, a bit of a taste of, of good old Bluey and Barjaff. But at the moment, like I said, they're a little bit too young. To, they sort of go, oh, no, well, we don't care. You know, we just want to go and play our iPads. And, you know, they're just at that age. They 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 probably prefer that other Bluey. Exactly, and that's the funny thing. I said that because they are fans of the cartoon Bluey, and I said to them, "You know, your grandfather was the original Bluey," and they just looked at me like, "What are you talking about, Mum?" So they really do have no idea. But one day, one day they will understand a bit more, and I'll make sure they know all about it. And was it true that? On the, the, the day that your, your dad passed away, he did two shows that day? He actually did. It was um, the, the night before, yeah. So he, he passed away oh, on the really? Saturday morning, but he'd been working. Yeah, he'd done two full shows on the Friday night beforehand. Um, so he never really stopped. He was just, even for his age, he was constantly driving and traveling and, and just squeezing as much in as he could because he just loved doing it. It was, you know, that was his life. So, yeah, he worked right up until pretty much the day before he passed away. That's amazing. Well, Shenra, we salute your dad and uh, for giving us all the laughs and entertainment for many a decade and yeah. also generations. So Absolutely. Be proud that your dad is such an icon. I am. I'm very proud, and I'll make sure that my boys are proud when they get old enough to understand it. So, yeah, definitely proud of you. Shenra, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you Thank for you. having me. Nice Thank to you, talk to you guys. General. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you. In Barjas, uh, well, Barjas offers, uh, offers uh, the head of the ABC a souvlaki, uh, but uh, in Bluey, it's actually a pasty. I was, oh, go- I was yeah. going to no, say it's, that. It's too cultured to be souvlaki back then. <laughs> and he was very polite too, because pasty. And, yeah. uh, and, because I think it's like episode thirteen or something. It's right in the heart of the series. It is, uh, oh, well, it, it's, it's it's twenty and twenty one. We yeah. see uh, Fred Fred Parslow, uh, yeah. if you if you're looking on on the DVDs. But yeah, that 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 whole thing. It's it, it's it's two separate episodes. You you, you might see the guy's tie change. <laughs> you, you know, I, I love coming on this podcast for the sole reason of, of getting little tidbits like, well, it was a Suvlaki in the dub, but I passed you on the original. Yeah. Like, this is, this is, like, if Andrew Mercado's listening listen to this, he would appreciate the fact that you're going to such lengths to, to figure out the differences between the original and the, and the dub version. I, I tip my hat to you then. It's, it's, it's going to these stupidly forensic lengths. <laughs> and that's but when... you can reveal that they're both warmed in the same manner. The crowd cracks up. In the original, there's, there's sort of there was no reason for for Bluey uh, to be sitting down and just suddenly get up. But um, yeah, considering that it's the place where he put his party slash suvaki, <laughs> it just it lends itself to it to a, a great little sound so, gag. Far, you far see, sound right... effect followed by ding. You see, right towards the end, when um, they actually end up reversing the footage, when uh, Glenn Twenty walks t- towards the car and then, you know, sort of uh, quote unquote runs backwards mm, from yeah. the car. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ruin it even further. So the part where Barjas, you know, does light up and the car explodes, that car mm. explosion is from the very first episode of Bluey. So, yeah. Oh wow! Because, yeah. So and um, because when he originally hops in, he's hopped into a, a red car to light up, and then they cut to the 
white, white car. A white yeah. um, bug. VW Beetle from memory. Yeah, exactly. And that's and actually that's... from the first episode. So I'm sorry for completely ruining it even further. But that's what this and podcast that... is about. So he that's... doesn't really die. No. He, 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 I guess you could bring him back in an animated style. Pay the way for, for, for one of your highfalutin streaming services to give us the barge-ass reboot. Yeah, yes. just like Charlie. Well, I mean, because there's there's like like 1385 minutes worth of Bluey here that that they could still raid to try and continue the continuing adventures of Barjas. Oh, you know what I actually thought of the other day? My apologies, I'm getting really close to camera there. Uh, And that is when you got the box set, right? And as I'm going through discovering other actors who have appeared in this series and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically crossed worlds with uh, the olden days or Rush. So, you know, like like the guy who um, in the olden days where he was uh, trying to perfect the platform shoes. So he's actually yeah. in Bluey as well. So when you get those paths crossed and as well like that, I'm thinking you could easily do like a, a Seinfeld 2000 but with uh, Bluey. <laughs> Think well, about it. It occurred to me. That uh, that Martin Scorsese is actually ripped off Barjas for Casino, because towards the end of Casino, there's a scene where Robert De Niro gets into a car, lights a cigarette, actually sorry, pushes in I think the button to uh, to like you know kick off the the uh, what do you call it cigarette the cigarette lighter. Light, lighter, and the car blows up. You know maybe if we can get Scorsese into some sort of you know best bits of of the Champagne Comedy podcast, we can ask him directly, hey. Marty, did you steal, um, you know, from episode episode ten of Barnjas for that uh, towards the end of, of Casino? <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 just just to, to maybe get this back on topic, it's kind of good to see that uh, the, the late show writers are picking from all of these different areas of this series, all these different episodes, rather than just maybe lazily picking the whole lot from one. Well, I mean, t- Tony Tony said that that. To, to create Barjas, it was, it was. I think he said it was from nine o'clock in the morning till nine at night each Monday for ten months, and sometimes they would get like six seconds out of that whole twelve-hour day. So I mean, no wonder there was only ten episodes, uh, ten episodes of Barjas, given the amount of editing and research it took to actually put it together. It, it made for some bloody uh, funny stuff, though. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just the level of detail and, and the effort that went into it. But the end product is so good that it's just so worth it. And, you know, people people know about Barjas and the olden days and also the Piss Week Kids from, from all sorts of, you know, ways like, you know, people putting it up on YouTube and sharing it. And people who have no idea what the late show is know what these things are because they were so brilliantly done. And I think that in the, it was the I can't remember which institution it was for the 50 years of Australian television, that um, they actually reached out to Tony back in like 2006, I think it was, asking for, um, I think, footage or commentary about Barjas. And he was really chuffed to see that Barjas has made the pantheon of, you know, 50 <laughs> years of, of great Australian television moments. So right now we have the Oz Brothers and it's it hasn't been, it's been a while since the Oz Brothers have actually been on. And so Gavin is wearing acid wash and is this one it's a bit all over the place i should say like this podcast it's just random bits and pieces trying to puddle together like while they've got a script they're just improv and trying to make each other laugh 
Do you know what? It feels really Graham and the Colonel because it, it's a very loose episode, you know, and I think they probably wrote it very quickly because they needed to fill a slot and it just has that kind of, oh, we're shoving a few ideas together into the one sketch that you get from Graham and the Colonel, except, you know, that they're in they're in different costumes, basically, and it's about cricket and Booney. Uh, and Acid Wash and the guy who invented Pert. What about the guy yeah. who invented Pert? Oh, the guy's a genius. He's a dead set He's genius. Dead set genius. <laughs> okay, Neville, yeah. you, you crack the DNA code. That's easy. That's easy. That's easy. Like you try combining shampoo and conditioner in one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, well, and, and check out the results. Look at that. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, son. I'll tell you what. What is that from? Just the way he's <laughs> mucking around with his mo. <laughs> And some great uh, Rob Rush references as well in that sketch. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I was going to say that they yeah. still take the piss out of him in Have You Been Paying Attention every every week, don't they, pretty much? Because he features on, like, as a newsreader and they always uh, cut to him and and show bits that he does. Yeah. I didn't mind this one because it was, uh, even though it was a bit loose, it's, it just hit all the kind of regular laugh buttons and it was just the, the I can't believe it, and... The whole, all the boonie stuff, so I didn't like Believe it. it. Can't believe it. Can't believe it, Neville. Believe it. Yeah. Well, they basically argue that Rob Bruff should get the Nobel Peace Prize because he arbitrates between two families in Family Feud, which is, you know, <laughs> it's got a nice little joke. And then that leads into, you know, all the awards that Booney's been snubbed for. So he's been snubbed for the Nobel Prize for Literature, the Arias, the Logies, the Fashion Industry Awards. Booney was snubbed. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he didn't even get Father of the Year. Or did he? That That's sort of the end of the sketch, really. I was facing Patrick Patterson on an up-and-down MCG wicket. Patrick was fired up and rolling really quickly. I could survive the first consideration of the first time. During the Super Bowl, I worked in the and what? Just go to sleep. That's only that was so great. kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's their faces, isn't it? Their wide-eyed, just adoring faces as Boonie reads them their bedtime story. It's so good. Um, I just quickly ducked out to the bathroom. Uh, not toilet not for break. That reason. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no, basically because, well, uh, well, as far as I know, they don't make Pert two in one anymore. But you can still buy two-in-one shampoo because um, the the shampoo uh, two-in-one that I buy, it's got a really weird name. It's called Turning Point. That looks. I don't know why it's called Turning Point, but it's such an odd name for a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. I'm pretty sure my my partner uses that as well. That's that's also in the shower room. Okay, so, this is a great opportunity yeah. for to do just a new segment into this podcast, which is what in the final episode we have a new segment. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 called it's called uh, shampoo name or drug rehab center name. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I'm, and I'm, Pert I'm would be what. <laughs> Speaking of our uh, product placement stuff, it is now a commercial and it's all about the cliche couple who does all the TV commercials and uh, I guess this is probably the acting is on par with a lot of commercials that happen today like like those, uh, I won't mention it but those commercials promoting insurance of some sort Yes, I'm not going to say yeah, Rob and Jane are probably you know, they're, they're proper item at this point aren't they, so the affection is genuine, I would say. 
I, I do I do wonder if the off-screen hate is as genuine as well because um, yeah I mean the, the, the conceit is that yeah they're so happy in all the ads that they hate each other's guts in real life was this another another thing they put out there to try mm. and disguise the fact that they're an item yeah that's Maybe. right I think so yeah. the theory still holds Nick Justin there's been yep. a conspiracy on this podcast for ages uh, that there was a bizarre love triangle going on between Jane uh tom and rob and they were looking oh, there up was no love, there was no love triangle you know jane and tom were a thing that's it end of <laughs> i still believe this <laughs> i may have been too young to I... take anything on <laughs> at the time, I think. no no gossip for us that's a shame no, I... notice of that i don't think at any point we worked with all three of them on the same time we certainly work with all of them, but not at the same time. So we work with Jane on that Beatles a prick episode, and Rob was there too, but Tom wasn't there. So mm. I, I maybe that maybe that, fuel, maybe that fuels the rumor. That, that <laughs> yeah. all. I, don't, I don't think that adds anything to the rumor. Anyway. Hey, it's so, a... I'm sorry, we can't give you any answers. <laughs> it's right. Oh, it's okay. You never know. <laughs> no, if anything, if he probe any further, it will be too foolhardy. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. That's not even well worth a boom tish. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll move on. It's time for muckraking, and we have Judith covering because Mick and Jace are missing. Where are they? Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, and after... Sorry, that's really horrible. I keep forgetting that we're filming this this time. And uh, we don't usually film this podcast, so this is a rarity. And after being prompted that they're out back, uh, Judith takes the camera up back, a la Hey, Hey, Saturday and Children's Kids TV show style. Muckrakers, what the hell's going on here? What, what's this? Judith. Muckraking segments on all the shows and all the world, you have to walk into our house. It's a lot of There ain't no more muckraking. This TV show ain't big enough for muckrakers and Graham and the Colonel. That's all there is to it. Let's go, Nicky. Tell someone who cares, Babs. Muckrakers not like this, not the live show, no! And that's where the teaser leads into for the podcast because it was all about uh, their version of Casablanca. But why my name, Richard? Because you're getting on that plane. I don't understand. What about you? I'm staying here with him till the plane gets safely away. No, Richard, no. What has happened to you? Last night, Last we, said night a... we said a great many things. See, they did a really good impression. They, they really did. I think this is the, this is the moment when, when watching it back again, I'm like, wow, they really are not coming back, are they? This is like such yeah. a, a, a penalty sort of sketch that um, yeah. I mean, at the time we didn't know. But you, you look back at it now and you think, yeah, they, they probably had decided already as a group that they weren't probably going to come back for a, a third series. And so, you know, and I, th- I think this is like also a really great sort of muckraking, um, you know, vehicle for, for them because it was a great scene between um, Jason and Mick ultimately. Yeah, I remember Jason mentioning he he decided to, to go and move on to other endeavours. And I'm not sure about the rest of the crew, but but Jason being in this sketch definitely had that that... Those final moments definitely seemed, when you look at back at them, that they are never coming back. Oh, very sad. Yeah. And, and the... Except that they keep saying this is the end for season 93, mm. which implies a season 94. So mixed messaging here, I think. 
Mm. I was going to say, in regards to the Casablanca sketch itself, we uh, unfortunately couldn't make it to this recording, the final episode, but our resident uh, movie reviewer and TV reviewer, Tony, um, he actually had this to say. Sorry I can't be there live and in person, but I did want to say a few things about the final ever muckraking, um, and not just because Judith Lucy named drops Tanya Lacey in the intro, uh, a name that still strikes fear in the hearts of an entire generation. <laughs> we all know now that this is the final ever episode of The Late Show, but when this episode went to air and I was sitting at home on a Saturday night watching it, I had no idea that this was going to be the final ever episode. Tony Martin says, the final episode for 1993 in the opening, so you know... Obviously, that means there's going to be more episodes in 1994, right? So the way this particular muckraking makes it pretty clear that there ain't going to be no more muckraking came as a bit of a shock to my system. Sure, once you get past the Casablanca homage, it's really just a collection of callbacks, and who could forget all the Dado slag-offs? But it's also weirdly emotional if you don't already know that the show really is about to come to an end. It's a proper send-off for muckraking too, even if standing on a runway next to a DC-3 plane is a bit of a weird ending for a segment that was really just about making fun of pissy celebrities. But it is memorable. It's, it's one of the few segments that really make this episode feel like a finale rather than just the final episode for 1993. Plus, there's some really great acting from Alf Camilleri too. Yeah, oh, well said, definitely. Yes. When they, Thank you, Tony. When they threw to Casablanca, all that whole bit, the... I guess the pre-recorded sketch when they were actually doing the whole thing, showing the little fat kid from Hey Dad in the frame and so forth. Was that being shown on the screen in the inside of the studio or just on the monitors? Can you remember when they... Uh, put... It was on the screen. Um, it was definitely on the screen. Uh, and that shot is at Essendon Airport and you can still see the plane. It's, uh, the DC-3 is called the Goonie Bird. Um, it still operates. You can actually go in flights on that. Uh, they do like a 1930s style... Um, dinner and a flight on that, but uh, yeah, to answer your question, yes, they actually had it on the screen, um, so we could actually see that from the audience. Um, yeah, that was really cool. Because <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered how they would do that when they go from something live and then transition into a pre recorded item, and yeah, everything was on the big screen, so we were watching everything live and reacting to it exactly the same as what the audience would. I just like the um, when they were you know recapping the the history of the muckraking segment when they said uh, we said that Julian McMahon and, and Danny Minogue were a likable couple. I just think that's just <laughs> like a, like a, like, a, like a lifetime ago when Julian McMahon and Danny were a couple. It just feels like a almost like we kind of dreamt it. Yeah, they were a couple for a couple of years, weren't they? It was a very short period of time. And, yeah, and they and got was... married as well. I remember I've, I've yeah. got somewhere in my archives an old copy of, of Who Weekly and they were just talking about their upcoming wedding. And, uh, yeah, it didn't last long. But we already knew this because it was predicted by uh, when Jane was doing a little This Is Shit song. That was this? Yes, <laughs> oh, <that's fine>. shit. <laughs> now it's the final time that we're going to see this and that is the toilet break. And this is a more... It's all visual, unfortunately. Uh, so I've only got a little audio snippet just to set you in the mood for it. But it is Act 7, Len Somerville and his performing dogs. As mysterious as Razia. <laughs> well, basically, Len Somerville's a kind of middle-aged bloke wearing a kind of vaguely sort of Elvis flare suit. And uh, he's got three dogs and he's he's a dog trainer. 
Um, and yeah, he's he's getting them to do some tricks. And one of the dogs, who's ironically called Superboy, um, seems like it's half asleep because it can't really do any of the tricks that it's supposed to be doing, like jumping through hoops and you know that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a pretty pissy dog act, really. There's a wonderful moment where I think Superboy has to get on a skateboard and, and ride it along, and Superboy can barely get onto the skateboard, let alone push the thing along. So yeah, not so good as an act, I would say. Well, like I, I, sh I should let you know a little bit more about uh, Somerville because I, I did a bit of uh, reading at the State Library. Funnily enough, in the Somerville reading room, uh, no relation. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, uh, basically, Len, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to say this all in the past tense because he did uh, pass away in 2011. He did seem to achieve quite a lot, especially with his. Uh, uh, TV performing dog show. Um, he also wrote a lot of poetry, which he would send in to uh, Bob Francis, um, who did the night show on uh, commercial talk station 5AA. Bob Francis has also done as well, but he would, uh, he would read Glenn's poems out on air. And so uh, from that, uh, he self-published a book of poetry called Through the Eyes of Radio. You know, you can book him for your birthday and Christmas parties and... Uh, you know, fates and uh, shopping centres and all that, all that sort of thing. I do recall seeing him perform at the Brickworks Markets, which are no longer there, unfortunately. I can read one of his poems if you like. Um, are you guys cat people or dog people? Do dogs, because yeah. this is about dogs. So this is one of his poems called My Real Best Friend. I've got heaps of real good friends who I could never be without. I love their ways and their trends. But my true, friend, my true friend has a wet snout. He never criticises my actions, nor does he care how I dress. He gives love without distractions, even when he is under great stress. Whenever I come home, he is there. I can always count on a wild wag. If I'm troubled, he'll always share enough love to lighten my bag. And when I'm sitting home in my room, it doesn't matter whom I am with, whether I'm happy or I'm in gloom, his eyes tell his heart he will give. Oh, you needed the, the John Laws, um, is it like Waltzing Matilda on slow guitar <laughs> sort of in, in the background when he used to read, read a poem out? And he says that and goes, that's brought to you by Valvoline. That's right. Judge Roy Bean would know what to do. <laughs> Just last of all, um, he, he puts a page here advertising his 20-minute TV performing dog show from 35 TV shows and Ashton Circus, this is the biography of Len Somerville. Born with cerebral palsy, became a diabetic at 17, poet slash writer, acquired first dog, a Kelpie named Tiger, at nine years old. Started performing with dogs in 1976 after failed marriage. TV shows include Seven's Clips, that's Clips spelled with a K, Have a Go, Eight Easter Appeals, Potluck. Five Wombats on Ten. Nine's Don Lane Show, New Faces. Also Expo, Royal Adelaide Show and Ashton Circus. Retired 1990 after spinal surgery. Started live shows, brackets, busking again 1994. Here's the interesting bit. Last TV show, Channel 2 Late Night Show, 1993, a repeat from Seven's Potluck, screened without Len's knowledge. Brackets. Len threatened legal action, close brackets. Wow. Isn't that interesting? 
So, hey, hey, he threatened legal action after the show had gone to air, presumably, when well, it was far too late. I would, well, I would say so. I would say, well, considering we haven't heard anything about it, I would say the legal action probably went nowhere. Mm. Um, like, probably because, well, for this sort of thing, like, the DJ would just have to pay a fee to Grundy's in order to air it, and... You know, that's that's it, really. You know, the he contestants probably don't get a say in it. He wouldn't have got any royalties or any residuals. No, well, I mean, neither would have, you know, Kim Wilson or uh, or Piffy or any of the others, you know. So yeah. I don't suppose there would have been a leg to stand on then, really. Which, which, yeah. does, which does kind of make me wonder about today's talent shows, about if we were to suddenly take the piss out of them, you know, 15 years down the track, whether... whether we would be able to get away so luckily. Maybe we should have bought this podcast right now. It <laughs> <laughs> late for that. Yeah, oops. <laughs> Episode 40, oh. oh well. So, um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff there about Len Somerville. And, um, yeah, I would say a fairly interesting dog show. Um, just just quickly, I, I, I just, just want to kind of know how, how the uh, Potluck uh, Act was received uh, in the 1993 uh, Late Show Room. It's kind of a cringe thing to watch. I mean, it, it was funny <laughs> because poor dog, Superboy was uh, was not well. <laughs> you could see that when it, was, uh, when it was happening. So, yeah, but it was it's funny because everyone, it, it's one of those segments that people know is coming up and they get very excited to find out what are we going to see here and they went for, out of their way to find the most obscure and strange acts to actually put on there and definitely yeah. definitely one of those yeah do you have a fav- do you have some favorite potluck acts well, the Nicholas and Justin kick uh, no does his hammy does his oh hand, Todd yeah. Rickson Todd Rickson yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was fun yeah I couldn't track him down he was really hard to find actually I'm sorry I, yeah I couldn't find him at all only just yeah. other meme Facebook pages and websites that were dedicated <laughs> to him pulling his hammy and other foreign TV shows playing that clip and saying, oh, he kicked himself in the head. It's like, no, he pulled a hammy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, and the, the guys seem to take the pressure down as well. Oh, yeah. David Ty. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the very, very first episode from memory. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, we, we'll see what Bernard has to say about Lynn. And it's very difficult not to love a dog act, isn't it? Uh, very appealing little dogs. I'm concerned, though, Len. The chihuahuas, I feel, are on the brink of pensionship. Uh, is there a home that dogs go to, or do they just join show business? We did. Us <laughs> barking all these. It lacked razzmatazz. You can't depend on one Pomeranian to make the entire show, my lad. But you've done what you can yourself to spark the whole thing up. The costuming and those hard-to-get colours. The glorious fabric. I suppose it's still around. And I do think that probably the flares will return in fashion. I think they will probably yeah. So Len, I feel the dogs did extremely well, but the total score for you, for me, is two. Two. <laughs> All right, and now, Daniel, can you quickly summarise the entire lot? We'll start off with the the uh, point, as uh, as your revision would put it. Um, Tim Wilson singing "Holding Out for a Hero" uh, from episode six, as well as uh, the two from the previous episode, uh, who we didn't get to hear comment from Bernard, uh, the unnamed dancer who loses her Mike Battery pack, and uh, Michael Dager singing something. Yeah. I so no, no scores from them because that was never revealed yeah. yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, Stone Motherless last uh, at nineteenth. There's Lance Somerville and his performing dogs, which uh, I think is very unfair, although. 
considering what's about to be revealed, um, that might not be the true score. Mm. Um, at 18th on five points, we've got Raymond Shield, uh, the taxi driver singing There is a Balm in Gilead. Um, equal 14th on 10 points apiece, we've got Christopher Cruel, who bravely battled through You Keep Me Hanging On uh, in episode three. Uh, the one, the only dancing Razia from episode 11. Uh, Gary Bond with his own composition, Take Me Away from episode 18. And uh, Kenneth Cooper, also from the previous episode, who sang The, lovely, the Loveliest Night of the Year. Uh, equal 12th on uh, 15 points, uh, we had David Ty, who sang Pressure Down in episode one, and Christopher Lopez, who um, very foolishly decided to sing uh, Missing You from episode eight. Uh, equal 10th on 16 points, the Nelligan Sisters, who sang True Blue, and uh, Michael Warren, who sang Don't Cry, Don't Cry Daddy. Uh, equal eighth on 20 points, uh, we had uh, the Spangles, who sang Venus from episode two, and Todd Rickson, who did his hammies uh, dancing to Baby I'm a Star in episode 16. Um, seventh place on 21 points, uh, Rita Eldridge, who did her toe-tapping piano medley. Uh, sixth place on 22 points, Greg Cutcliffe, who sang Billy Joel's My Life in episode nine. Okay, we're starting to get um, right at the top here. So equal fourth on 25 points, we had uh, Ian Evans uh, with his absolutely potty um, mouth organ impression uh, with uh, weird toe tapping as well. And uh, Fred Sleep, who basically played his Goanna. I can't really describe it any better than that. <laughs> it was literally what he yeah. did. <laughs> okay. Third place, 32 points, Darren Schultz with his magic act. Now, see, I think um, Lens, uh, Lens Summerfield's real... Um, Real score probably would have been around there because I think I think uh, Len probably would have been in that sort of same league as Darren Schutz's Magic Act and um, and Piffy, who we still haven't heard from. Could he be number two or number one? <gasps> well, at number two, at thirty-four points, we had uh, Alan and Brenda saying by your baby" with the Dixie melody. So that means that uh, number one with forty points. Uh, playing Lady of Spain expertly on the bells. It's the one, the only, Piffy! back in episode four and he won silver spoons for that and and deservedly so because like again similar to the performing dog similar to the magic act it's that sort of it's a good act and it's still it's it's very quirky it's it's a it's a really good essence of of the show pot of luck pot of luck i think i made that episode in a previous episode ah Wow. I mean, Daniel, Daniel is the champagne. Have another glass. That'll sort it out. Yeah, yeah. It's late, and this is the longest time we're recording, and we're nearly done. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, come on, just... come on. There, there's a very, very important part of this potluck episode that we haven't even got near yet. Yes. Yeah. yeah let's let's let, let's get to it. It's the breaking of the fourth wall, essentially. One hundred percent. And this is where I think Len would have been <laughs> supporting uh, certain someone's comments. By the way, mm-hmm. the ABC giving you any royalties for every time they play this? Oh, I was flattered that we were being repeated and resurrected. But we're supposed to be getting extra money. Royalties. Well, what? Well, how much did you get a show? $5,000 a show. Did you? How many shows have they done? 13. 13? 30, 13. Yes. One of these kids here said they'd used us 20 times. 20? How much is that? $100,000. And mm. now, what did you get? Two fifty. Yeah. <laughs> you must have known when the body was buried, <laughs> did you? Yeah. All right. One of you direct us to the finance department. Yeah, the about discussion we really had here. There's no way you don't have a final. Go on, lay a hand on me. Don't you dare touch me. <laughs> Violet, you're a thing. Oh, thanks, Ernie. It's not the Logies. <laughs> I like that throwaway line. It's not the Logies. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a nice callback. That's a reference, I think, to um, Ernie Sigley punched, or allegedly punched oh, yes! at a Logies, didn't he? Yeah. So, I've totally forgotten about that. Yeah. That never comes up on the highlight shows. No, it doesn't. No, because it, I, no, because it didn't happen on on camera. It happened at the oh. after party or something. So there's no footage of it. There's just people. Well, obviously, that's that's, that, that's like when when Tony Martin was accused of allegedly uh, punching out Billy J. Smith and setting fire to Wickedy Whack at the <laughs> was, it, was it the the Ra Awards or the Radio uh, History Awards? Yeah, the Gold Coast. Yeah, it was some sort of Gold Coast Radio Awards. Yeah, the Goldies back in 1885 so so as a viewer watching this um you know i didn't realize there wasn't really like a jump cut i think obviously they had just reshot the kind of like the the evaluation at the end not expecting that sort of like by the way you realize that playing on the abc that was brilliant i thought that was actually the the best part of that episode of that segment sorry was actually that little sort of almost like easter egg at the end now we're on stage and there's more late mail obviously trying to pad some time (laughs) and tom and jane read out a letter from a listener asking why um can't you sit too close to the tv so they did the experiment and then they ended up turning into uh bert and patty newton it's a very excellent cameo though oh yeah some more tv legends that we've got on this episode you know they're, they're all here aren't they you know we've got ernie bernard Bert, Patty, and there's more to come. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, Mick decides to throw out one more last lookalike because he, he received uh, or apparently received a, a lost wallet from the police station as they are going through it all, found a driver's licence of someone who looked like Robert Sitch when it was actually him. Um, and uh, as he was going through it, the driver's licence, the, the tickets to uh, Swing Out Sister. And phone numbers to some girls, so yeah. I can really imagine Rob Sitch going along in his skivvy to swing out sister and having a marvellous time. Yeah. That's he the is the medico of mirth after all. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> he is, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Obviously, if they haven't told Rob a lick about this because it catches him totally by surprise and it's just it's <laughs> it's it's an it's a great moment to see, to see him go what the hell is going on well that's where it leads into and this is where the uh it's on the best bits dvd where uh rob goes into his epilogue really of um the late show kind of wrapping up um for the last two years and they show the 
fake montage clips. And that's why he's got that look on his face going, as in you bastards. <laughs> yeah. So so when you see it on the DVD, you just think, oh, that's normal, but he's just, you know, stabby eyes type directly at Mick. The Late Show, season 93. I think it's time to look back at the year that was. <laughs> the laughter and the tears, the triumphs and the falls. Well, the happy times and the sad ones. The times when the audience has touched us, and I hope we've touched the audience. <laughs> when they've depended on us as mm. friends. <laughs> and you know... <laughs> nah, you. I, I'm so glad you didn't leave Casablanca. <laughs> Friends, Rob. They depended on us as friends. <laughs> and you know what? That's what friends are for. Yeah, obviously that's been redubbed on the DVD because it actually used the proper song, That's What Friends Are For. The, the original Dionne Warwick and Friends song. It's a, an excellent montage of, uh, of highlights that never were, essentially. I always remember the, the Pete Smith getting up on the table for the tinier telephone and doing what was... <laughs> A fairly sexual, uh, you know, or sexy kind of uh, well, maneuver. He's, or... he's kind of doing push-ups, but, yeah, it does look a bit um, like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like, also like, he's, like he's humping the desk. Just come out. Yeah. And, yeah. and, I mean, another big, you know, Australian cow politician cameo there of Gareth Evans at the uh, at the, the putting challenge charity event, whatever that was. Putting for peace. Yeah, with a, with a giant putter. Yes, be, which yes is a... sort of... Russell Gilbert style, you know, novelty, massive, um, you know, sort of, uh, yeah. Well, there were all these tennis charity events where they'd bring out the giant tennis racket and that's just a sort of riff on that. In fact, I think they do bring out the giant tennis racket. They they do, they do, yeah. yeah. We're aiming the Colonel time now and the Colonel uh, is completely flummoxed. That's probably like the 12th or 13th flummoxed. Uh, (laughs) Genuinely flummoxed. Yes, and because the Sultan of Brunei left a $256,000 tip at a hotel in Cyprus after attending Chogham. It's easily explained. When they told him he should leave 10%, he thought it was 10% of Cyprus's GDP. Oh, right. Anyone can make that mistake, especially if you're the Sultan of Brunei. <laughs> Excuse me. The part that um, he was referring to as well is why would you attend something that sounds like a chocolate bar? But you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still going on, isn't it? It's happening now, isn't it, in Rwanda at, the, at this exact moment, they're having Chogham. Yeah. You could tell that the segment was put together very quickly. Um, yeah. There was not a lot of content, I think. Again, it was one of those things where they were trying to figure out how to fill, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes of, uh, of airtime. Did it feel like that, Justin, when you were watching? I can't remember. Uh, it, it felt like everything rushed pretty quickly through because it was exciting at the time. So, like, everything was just lots of fun. <laughs> I guess everyone was had that adrenaline, the cast included, just knowing that yeah. it was the last episode. Yeah, the energy in the room was incredible. Yeah. There's some decent jokes here about how Chogham sounds like a chocolate bar and then they talk about, oh, we'll, we'll go off to the Polly Waffle Summer instead. And, you know, it's very, very typical kind of Graham and the Colonel jokes. Now, there's the Melbourne Cup. Our Lady Colonel got them a special hat for the event, a white hat, the same Flemington catering. That was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Coat Supreme uh, was absent. Uh, he was the only horse that acts like a, you know, having a dog tickle. And... Lee Friedman uh, is complaining about the travel arrangements for his horse, Naturalism, 
and he gets the horse on fine, but his jockey is basically hand luggage. Yeah, Batum Tish. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Batum Tish moments, aren't there? Oh, 100%, yeah. Uh, naturalism wanted to visit the cockpit, but what you would expect from a four-year-old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then Australia versus Argentina, Maradona has to perform well. My question is this. Why call him back now? Mm-hmm. I mean, why not the match... Uh, where they got thrashed 5-0 by Colombia. Oh, come on, Graham. How can he play against Colombia? Most of those guys are his suppliers. Yeah. <laughs> Very cold. All right. So <laughs> after that, Graham and the Colonel, which was just basically thrown in. Um, it, yeah. was, it was just filler. Yeah, because of the big closing musical finale, which, uh, like, after they did play a montage of the whole musical guests and stuff like that, which I could easily play, but I only want to point out this one because have a listen to the audience reaction to this one bit. See, that one brought the house down. Yeah, she was the breakout of this segment, really, wasn't she? She was the one that people really remembered and liked. Yeah. Well, well, see, I, I was thinking, like, if if we were going to do, say, you know, a podcast audience vote about what their favourite uh, musical finale is, I would say that Joan Kerner would win in a, in a landslide, if not be right at the top. Even when she passed away, I think it was the SMH obituary that listed that as a um, notable part of her career. Well, see, the, the, the other thing is that, um, like, once Joan Kerner had been on... Like it was sort of uh, the 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 degeneration people have said that it was easier to get uh, other celebrities to to go on after that. Like it sort of it it, it had a, a cachet, a, a notoriety about it. Well, now with that, this is where Mick finally re- he got something right. Really, get Mr. Showbiz, Don Lane. Have you got him? No, you're not gonna get mad at me, are you? <laughs> I promise you won't be angry. Oh no, no, Mick. I got him. What was the atmosphere like for that, um, being yeah. in the audience? It was like being at a big football game. Like the crowd just went nuts because obviously that's one thing everyone wanted to see was who's going to be your grand finale, who's going to be the uh, musical guest. And when Mick got it, it, just the room went just absolutely huge. Was, so is that was, when the, the curtain went up and you saw the orchestra and, and Don, is that what mm, happened? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like uh, as soon as the mix said, I got him, and then I think someone yells out, "Yeah, first yeah. So the crowd. <laughs> but uh, it was just insane. It was really electric to be there at uh, for that particular moment. Then Don comes out and, and does the whole thing, and it was just great fun. Um, yeah, yeah, because was- because that the whole red uh, curtain was there the entire time. Could you mm-hmm. hear anything being set up behind the curtain while the show was going on? I, I couldn't hear anything. I, I didn't notice anything going on. Uh, they hadn't alluded to the fact that 
painting was going to be coming out. So yeah, <laughs> it was um, and then surprised. and then when Don came out and started showing the camera onto crowd members and bam, there you are with Jane sitting right next to you. <laughs> that was good. That was good fun. That that was unexpected as well. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed that. I, it must have been just lucky where I was sitting that that's just the right spot. But uh, yeah, it was it was good fun. I remember watching that at home and um, I didn't, I, you know, I was born sort of at the end of the 70s, so I was too young to have ever watched the Don Lane show. So I didn't understand what, what Don Lane was doing with the camera and, and right. all that sort of stuff and the whole giving someone a necklace thing and even the I love your faces bit. I, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. And it was only when I got a Don Lane DVD and I saw episodes of his 70s Tonight Show and I went, ah, okay, I finally now understand the <laughs> end of The Late Show. You know, yeah. and I'm just wondering, did are you you're probably kind of roughly the same age as us, aren't you? You probably yeah. didn't know what it was either. No, I, I yeah. really wasn't sure. I, I was aware of Don Lane through like um Hey Hey Saturday and all that sort of thing. I'd seen him on TV. Mm. I I was too young for the show. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm similar age as well. I, I I do know of the show, but I just don't remember when I recognized about the I love your faces and mm. the whole panning the audience thing, but it is something that I subsequently learned. Yeah, I, I guess you know, watching it at home at the time, it felt like a bit of a weird way to end the show because, you know, for me, the show was about the late show and they, they were kind of, you know, giving over to one of their heroes, which I understand now. But at the time I was like, well, I want to see the late show people. I don't, I don't want to see this weird thing with Don Lane. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I sort of, I have a, I had a different reaction at the time to now where I think, well, actually this is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a very uh, show-busy, uh, yeah, glitz and glamorous. I mean, he comes out, he comes out singing a Sinatra song. That's, yeah. that's, that's classy as heck. Like, what a good sport Don Lane is, though, because even back in the, the D-Gen radio days, they would rib on him so hard. And even on the, um, was it the, the opening of this season with the, the, the still number four. Oh, and, yes. you know, they bring him on for that, for that as well. And... Um, and so the fact, and you can just you can just tell how much of a sort of classic entertainer that Don Lane was, because I mean, not only was he obviously keen to come out and do it, but he knocked that song out of the park. I mean, I, I actually really love his rendition of that song. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's really, really good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Usually there would be credits. Now I don't think there was any big surprises in there, was there, Daniel? Not really, apart from just being a very long list of special guests. Um, in fact, I mean, you can you can read along with this because uh, the the end credits for the final episode I use uh, as the end credits for some more bits of the late show, which is on uh, on the DVD, which uh, yeah, one of our Barjas competition winners is going to get David Boone, who was in the Oz Brothers, Rhonda Birchmore, who was in That's What Friends Are For, uh, as was Senator Gareth Evans QC, uh, and Greg Evans. Uh, we had John Farnham, who was in Charlie the Wonder Dog. Uh, Rodney Hogg uh, as himself in uh, Come On, Lizzie, uh, Come On. Uh, the Honourable Brian Howe MP in Charlie the Wonder Dog. Uh, Bernard King uh, as himself in Potluck. Uh, Don Lane uh, in the musical finale we've just seen. Peter McNamara in That's What Friends Are For. Manpower uh, featuring, um, oh God, I've just forgotten his name. Uh, Jamie Jury <laughs> in uh, Charlie the Wonder Dog. Um, we also had Meatloaf in Charlie, George Negus on the bike, uh, Bert Newton and Paddy Newton 
Uh, Patty spelled with an IE, uh, which is a bit misspelled. Is it too late to break out that pedantry for one more po- uh, time? Uh, hold on. Ah, there we go. So there we go. One last bit of pedantry to end the series with. Oh, hold on. Wait, we also got the other one. Pedantry. <laughs> yeah, disco pedantry. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we've also got Ernie Sigley from Potluck, uh, Pete Smith in That's What Friends Are For, uh, Daryl Summers uh, and Red Simons in Charlie the Wonder Dog, uh, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and the Movement and Groover Orchestra. Two orchestras in one show, aren't we lucky? Wow. Uh, Jeff Thompson uh, in Come On As He Come On, Charles Bud Tingwell, he also appeared twice, uh, once in Charlie the Wonder Dog and again receiving a cheque for the Tingwell Foundation in That's What Friends Are For. Uh, and Max Walker in Come On Aussie, Come On, uh, with the Piss Week Kids um, and Casey Hawkins and Daniel Hawkins, thanks to ABC News, Tim Bowden, John Blackman, John Diedrich, Essendon Airport Management, the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson, Lucky Grills, Shortstop, Jet Charter and Summers Carol. You, so, you, know, you know what I friggin' love? A, a long list there. You know what I friggin' love is that uh, in the credits, they only refer to you as the Pissweet Kids and not by your actual <laughs> names. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, was there one that did one of the other ones? Maybe even the one that did Pissweet World that was actually a game of CMAs. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. There's only like one on and, <laughs> and then when you've performed separately, like in your own separate sketches or whatever. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, yeah. yeah but when you're together, it's always the. the uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's, oh, that's it. it. Wow. Well, Can you believe yeah. it? 40, 40 episodes. Yes. And yeah, two years almost. Two years, just like this podcast. So that wraps up <laughs> season two, episode 20 of The Late Show, as well as episode 40 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Uh, so what do we do now? Uh, yeah, well, this is this is what I felt at the time. I remember feeling on Saturday nights it, there's this real gap in my life, mm. you know, and I, I kind of still feel that to a certain extent. So now mm. on Sunday mornings there's going to be a gap in my life of not having this podcast. <laughs> because Alison is based in the UK, so she's uh, in the morning. Yeah. yeah, so that's a little bit yeah. different. We're all in different time zones. So, so basically Saturday's a complete dead zone. Yeah. For the rest of my life now, unless you can fill it with a with a new podcast that you I can, can have think. a lie in, you can sleep in for a couple of hours. Well, while we're done with the late show, we will return to dissect more of their stuff. So we've got Degeneration, we've got Frontline, we've got Funky Squad. So um, I've got I've got all the DVDs ready and waiting. Yeah, so we've got, we've got other bits and pieces. So I've got Frontline, I've got <laughs> a river somewhere, I've got Hollow so, Men. I've got Thank God You're Here. Yeah. There's a lot. I just wanted to have a, a mention briefly uh, Leonard Puglia and Natalie Fragnito on the uh, Champagne Comedy Facebook page were looking forward to episode 40, but um, yeah, not ready for it to be the end. Uh, Leonard says the podcast got me through COVID lockdowns and my walks within the old five kilometer radius. Hoping for plenty of hashtag pedantry, which I think we delivered tonight. Oh yeah! Or uh, hashtag shit team shit no magnet type thing. <laughs> oh oh, hang on. Oh, what, what, what was that again, Matt? Hashtag. You mean? There you we mean... go. <laughs> team Yay! shit magnet. Yeah, let, let's bring this one back. Great. <laughs> 
the, the true definition of what was spoken by Mick Malloy. Get out of here, Alfie, you shit magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can, can we just cut in that footage of Jason Stevens here where he just goes, there's no such term? Can we just <laughs> cut that in? He doesn't have to be a term. He could have just been invented that very episode. Team Chick Magnet, guys. <laughs> Hashtag Team Chick Magnet all the way. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just really, really quickly before we finish. Um, okay, so, you know, like in August, I got a, a DM on Twitter from Matt uh, asking if, if I was interested in an idea for a podcast he was setting up uh, where a few of us watch a particular episode in our own time and we discuss the episode. In this case, it's, it's The Late Show. We talk about jokes that have lasted the test of time to dated ones, even moments where we don't know why they didn't make the best of cut, but it's all from the view of the fan. I got the message thinking... You know, I don't know if I'm exactly radio slash podcast material. Some might think I still aren't. Uh, but I sort of thought I would be crazy to pass this in, uh, this opportunity up. So it's been great to, to, to get through uh, all 40 episodes every other Saturday night with this, this dinner party of fans. And, um, yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be good that we're... we're we want to continue doing the podcast and um yeah it'll be something else it won't be the late show but um it'll be something else it could be sylvania waters i've got the diary <laughs> oh, <laughs> there <wow>. we go <laughs> well i can always start my a street box set so everyone want to do or we can do sky trackers I've, I've got a brilliant idea i've got this dvd here called pauline's quirks which oh, features no. a birds of a feather star pauline quirk and indeed linda robson and and i'm thinking maybe we could watch every episode of that so i'm i'm lobbying for a pauline's quirks podcast who's with me oh god no, uh, yeah, I think Justin and Nick are... Absolutely no one, and that's the correct answer. I think they're on the edge oh, of about to hang up. And... <laughs> I, I, would, I would prefer to watch the plank, I think. I mean, Which Alison, version? being, Which being in the UK, you should be covering, uh, doing the podcast for Alexi Sales stuff, surely. Well, yeah. I mean, I, we rewatched Alexi Sales stuff um, during lockdown, and it, it's great. Great program, so... Quite possibly. I, I basically just just wanted to say that yeah, it's 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 been great to going through the, these forty episodes. Um, yeah, the Champagne Comedy Podcast. It was truly a product of its time. A product of its time. Thank you, thank you very much, Daniel. Thanks to everyone for being thank part you. of it. Um, well, I, I've got to do a quick wrap up here. So, like, unfortunately, yeah. um, I just want to say thank you also to Prue and Tony to be be part of this. Uh, Prue couldn't make yeah. it. Uh, and also Tony, but we did hear some Tony. So thanks everyone for being part of this. Uh, but um, but also a big thank you to our guest reviewers, uh, Spencer and Nikki Housen, Danny Trigotting, Mason Hellcat, Dana Lick, uh, Ben G, Liam Renton, Remy Broadway, uh, Shannon Marinko, Amber, Natalie Bohensky, Julie Poulter, also you, Justin, um, and also you, Nick. And a big thank you to people who have been willing to be interviewed, such as Bruno Lucia, Gavin Wood, Chris from the Ned Kelly Museum, uh, Andrew Mercado, Frente's Angie Hart, uh, Things and Stone and Woods, Greg Arnold, Gabriel Gatte, Piffy, Jason Stevens. You know, we got, managed to get one cast member, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> Darren Schutz, uh, Potluck, uh, also Michael Warren, Potluck, and also Philip Brady and Simon Owens from 3AW who helped 
you know, chat and promoted and so forth. Also, Mikey Robbins, the Sharps, Pete Collins, and Ken James, and also you guys again for this episode. So, uh, and also a big thank you to everyone who has contributed in any way, shape, or form, such as competitions, feedback, positive or negative. Um, hey, if you've made that effort to click or thumbs down or thumbs up, Hey, you made that effort, so <laughs> jokes on you. Uh, sharing stories and downloading, subscribing, uh, just like Stu, uh, you know who you are, Stu. Uh, Scott, Rob, Melissa, Jeff, Leonard, Daniel, and everyone on Twitter and Facebook. So all the Scots, all the Robs, and all like, thank you. Uh, it's we may be very niche and so forth, and really. Uh, like just obsessed with Australian comedy with this thing and so forth. We go on off long for too long, but um, yeah, thank you so much for being part of everything, but we will be doing more. So just stay subscribed and you never know what, mm. or I'm not going to set anything in stone yet, but we do have some more ideas as well as some potential spin-offs. but just stay subscribed to the podcast feed. That's all I can say. So again, three, three words all together. Now, podcast. <laughs> Oh, no. no, no, no. Three words. Nothing comes easy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, um, uh, and thank you, Matt, for all the effort you put in every fortnight, putting everything together, compiling it, getting it online for the subscribers. It's just a huge effort. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. 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 All good. This is, this is your this is your brainchild, Matt. We we all have a lot to thank for you for your efforts, your coordination, your arduous editing around all my bullshit in the last three times I've been on, on this podcast. Um, we wouldn't be here without you. So thank you so much. That's all right. Passion project. What can I say? And as I said, I am definitely unemployed. So if you, as of a couple of weeks ago, so if everyone wants to employ me, uh, freelance production work, by all means, uh, just contact me through either, uh, well, I should say, feel free to webs- to visit the websites, you know, uh, champagnecomedy.com, email champagnelateshow at gmail. Uh, Twitter at Teela Champagne, Facebook. Uh, you know, I've said them all repeatedly, and I'm leaving you guys on the phone for so goddamn long. So I do apologise, uh, Nick and Justin, for hanging on for so long. With no one Thanks went on the toilet days. break. Yeah, you guys are le- you guys are legendary. This is like the second or third time that you've reached out, uh, or that I've reached out to you guys uh, for part of the website. And yeah, you, you are fantastic for riding the wave with this and. Yeah, um, can't thank you enough. Yeah, we, we love it as much as everyone. And um, and the fact that, that people still recognise and know who we are, <laughs> we, we love it. And uh, if anyone sponsors, we're more than happy to talk about it anytime. We love it. <laughs> I'm sure that they'll be able to buy you some beers and, and Nick, you can carry them to the... <laughs> also, uh, uh, yeah, so thank you, you guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Shanra Grills, uh, for the phone call. And I do apologise for disturbing any peace or whatever that you're going on at home, uh, as well as you, the US correspondent, Stephen, for this episode, um, as well as you. you guys, Alison, Daniel and Kim. Thanks for coming back on and talking shit. Thanks it's for been great. Great fun. Yeah. Lots of fun. Don't know what I'm going to do um, two weeks from now. Cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll catch you on the next whatever episode of Champagne Comedy Podcast. Be awesome. Thank you so much. Be safe. And hopefully uh, there's no pandemic that strikes the world again. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. Oh, Daniel, it's spelling. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au. Wah, 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 wah